asking the questions. <laughs> do you want to do a show? Let's. I've already done one. Okay. Yeah, let's do a show. <laughs> <laughs> I got all my info. I can go home. Oh my god! You can hear it. Welcome to Hollywood Anonymous. Uh, I'm Brian Irwin, and I'm John Huck. Can you hear this? Mm-hmm. I had to change my headphones again. Oh, you can't hear it? No, I can hear it, but oh. you can hear me, right? Yeah. Can you not so hear me? I get me? so mad. I got. I invested in all this stuff, and then my headphones all crapped out. So I'm just wearing like a iPhone, iPhone whatever. Yeah. What? I can't. I can't hear myself. I mean, I can hear myself. I'm not deaf, but. I can hear the music. I just didn't want. I don't know what it sounds like. It sounds great. Yeah, that's the podcast, everybody. I it's wonder, tech talk. Actually, you know what? We should. My mom played. Remember how I told you my mom was hearing it? it oh, was, this is your mom's complaint. It would no. Remember how she said it was? It sounded like we were talking too fast. Like a long time ago, she she hit me. Well, up, I always talk to you. I'm like the Frito Lay guy. But the she goes when that talked really fast back in the day. It was an episode. It was an episode where I talked about how I started drinking more green tea, and she goes, "Oh well." It sounds like you guys are talking really fast. It's really hard for me to hear and understand. And I go, I don't think we talk super fast. Like, I mean, maybe I, I get excited about something, but I don't like, I don't talk where you can't understand me. And when I went home this last trip, she goes, hey, just listen to it. And I put the headphones on and whatever's going on from when it comes out of here to when it goes to where she, wherever she is, it, it was like a sped up record. Like we sounded like the chipmunks. I, and right away I go, no, this is wrong. We, you All think, the episodes sound uh, like we're on high speed? The, like that one from then on. Wait a minute. So, okay, last, well, thanks like, for telling three, me the now. The last three. The only, only on hers, though. They don't sound like that on my SoundCloud. They don't sound like that on my phone. They don't sound like that anywhere but hers. What, so, what does your mom listen to it on? Her a record player? No. She should change yeah, it. She has a phonograph. She has a phonograph. It's got the big horn. Um, no, she's listened to it on her iPhone. Can we bring in our guest? Because I, yeah. I want to I compliment you. Um, and, me? And, and, no, I'm not oh. complimenting you. I'm, oh. I'm, I'm, I'm through with you. Okay. Now back to what I was going to say. Our guest today is fresh off of a tour because she is one of the front women in the rock band Veruca Salt. It is Miss Louise Post. Now, I know you uh, 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 officially as a woman who randomly just walked up to me one day at school because of my PTA presidency and just said, thank you. And I thought, well, that's a very nice... Wow. You remember that? Uh, you, you're, you're the only one who's ever thanked him. <laughs> so, yeah, he remembers it. I'm not going to get into Usually it. Usually, half deeply, the show is him that. complaining about being a PTA president, how he's underappreciated, how nobody likes him, <laughs> how people call him the wrong name. Thanks, Mark. It's Brian. Okay, Chris. Well, I'll tell you my response to Brian at our, at one of the first, I don't know what it was, like, you know, parent gatherings for the kinders, and Brian, uh, you know, ran the show and and was basically making doing a really good job of getting everyone to pull their checkbooks out right then and there. And um, I thought, thank God, this guy's here. That's what I thought. Wow, look yeah. at that! So everyone who's mocked Brian's PTA presidency, well, that would include me. Yeah, okay. <laughs> just just to be clear, I have also mocked my own. PTA anyone who's president. mocked his presidency or called for his impeachment. Uh, oh, and there are many. <laughs> Is it? No. Are there? You don't do you no. like? Are there meetings that are you, you spy that sh- on? You can attend these meetings, like oust Brian, like impeach. First In- of all, no. Go ahead. Oh, I don't first go. First of all, no. First of all, I don't go to meetings. No, I don't go to oh, meetings. Bad. Second of all, um, do you know how much the children love him for letting them throw sp- d- dump spaghetti on his head and 
ice cream, shaving cream pies in his face. He takes, you know, he takes one for the team. And this wasn't even at a function. This is just you walking down the street and kids. Yeah, whipping, it happens every day. Whipping shit at you, just throwing stuff at me. Yeah, out of cars, and I'm walking down. The, I, I'm taking. I, I'm assuming they like me, right? When they're throwing stuff out of the cars. That's I mean, all love. It's, it's like when you're a kid and you push a person down on the playground. It means you like them. Are you kidding? There is some truth to that. Yeah. So it's it's funny you would bring that up. So I love one of the things is is in in school is I love watching the dynamics of children and how they deal with each other because obviously they're still trying to figure out like how to interact with other human beings, both male to male, female to female, male to female, all that stuff, right? Um, and some of them never actually get past you know the early stages of how to deal with somebody. But still I was watching, haven't. I push I'll, my wife down the slide every day. So I'm <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so I'm watching these kids today, right? And there's two girls sitting on a on a bench. And I watch two boys go over and go, let's lift them up while they're on the bench. And the girl's like, oh, my God. And I'm going to myself, oh, they like you guys. Yeah. yeah. That's the only way they can show that they like you. They want to knock you off the bench. That, and which is so weird that, and would you agree with me, that's probably what's going on? Because oh, yeah. they didn't, it wasn't like, let's go be mean to you. That would be the perception if you didn't understand the dynamics of boys and girls. I looked at it like they didn't know how else to get their attention. Right. right. Well, I and you have the perspective of a little boy. I have the perspective <laughs> of a little girl. And in 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 my case, um, like last week, there was an after school arts collective. My daughter was make was making a Harry Potter newspaper on this friend's mom's computer laptop. And there were some boys who had come over and Hugo had told my daughter, had told these boys that my daughter and her friend were in first grade and my daughter was furious because they're in <laughs> second grade. Oh, and you slime balls. <laughs> she was so mad and she just said, mom, boys are so annoying. <laughs> I thought, here we go. Here it's you on. You have no it's idea. <laughs> Because, it, you know, because there's a certain age where they just check out on each other. There's like nothing, you know what I mean? It's like it's just not there. But then they're, all of a sudden, mm -hmm. the switch, right? It's so, that whole dynamic is very, very interesting to me. And at what age do girls, like most girls start liking boys? Because I'm asking for my wife. She's in her 30s. Oh, because you haven't really figured it out with her yet. I don't think Got she's it. started to like me yet. You know, I was trying to think. <laughs> I remember specifically, I think I was in fourth grade, I think when I started having feelings and I only <laughs> and I only know now yeah, feelings in general having I had no feelings, feelings before that I was very psychotic naturally uh, yeah setting things on fire and um, uh, no but I, I'll never forget it, it was at uh, uh, Windpoint School now closed which is sad That's I'm at an age now where actually the elementary school I went to I went back to it and they're tearing it down I was like oh my god oh really I've, I've become that guy that always goes over there there used to be uh, and like you know what I mean like, you're like, <laughs> now uh, it's a mall well mine is like the top uh, um, private elementary school in St. Louis oh, really wow, yes wow, wow. and so it's I, still alive it's alive and, and, and well and it was an experimental private um, progressive school in the 70s when I went my parents were one some of the founders and now it's like this sort of elite progressive school that you know I'm dying to go to no offense um you know it's like I would like to bring my daughter there and plop her back into my elementary school so it's far from gone I'm sorry that yours is yeah just just crushed my spirit when I came and it was all weeds and I'm like what's going what's Where's the where's the guy that takes care of this place? He's <laughs> they a, really let he's this place go. They're like, uh, it's been closed for five Kids years. Kids are <laughs> losing their bikes in the grass. <laughs> That's what, sort of sad. It what, is sad. You're seeing a part of your. The only thing I will say that was cool about it was that 
all the uh, the uh, playground equipment that now would be deemed as stuff that could kill you was still there oh, until good. it closed. Rusty as ever. You, you, what was the? <laughs> you remember the shoot thing where you could put the ball and it was like a big bucket, and then there was little holes that came yes. out. Little, yeah, 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 yeah. Like that kind of crazy stuff, like the metal uh, merry-go-rounds, like all mm. that stuff was still there. Like literally all the stuff that now they'd be like, not, not a chance. Oh now. right, that this. stuff that now there are laws against, yeah. and they can't. Now, like, now everything is like soft and... rubber. Yeah. like... <laughs> Well, yes, <laughs> when we were kids. You had a diving board at your school? When no, we were, I'm just okay. saying like that's also something that's outlawed that's fun now. Yeah, People like, can't put them were, in their pools When anymore. we were what? kids, everybody had a diving so. board. Their diving boards were public pools. Now it's all high dives were everywhere. Now there's nothing. There's no, there's like maybe, maybe, uh, maybe a small. Just the other day, this girl, this adorable girl in my daughter's class broke her arm on our fine school's playground of falling off the monkey bars. Like, Arms just you know poking right out, <laughs> and she's screaming bloody bloody murder. And my daughter was saying that it was somewhere. What did she say? It was somewhere between the loudest scream an animal could ever make <laughs> and this and the saddest cry. <laughs> um, anyway, so I was thinking great description the first, by the way. Yeah. After, oh, thank you. Um, or for you, Lila's description. Yes, yes, yeah, yes, yeah. Yes. Um, but the first thing I thought after, of course, feeling bad for this little girl was. Uh oh, there go the monkey bars. You know, yeah, <laughs> like it's one, all, all going. All it takes is one person to get injured. Take it away. <laughs> but you know, that's a case in point where it's all spongy ground around there. And when you start learning that, like, no matter how many helmets, no matter how many like knee pads and elbow pads that you put on our children, like people are still going to get hurt. Like mm-hmm. if you can, you, I mean, like uh, barring them literally rolling around in like big inflatable balls. That they don't touch anything, someone's getting hurt at some point. Like you know, what I mean, even they, that you can roll an ankle in one of those. Well, <laughs> exactly. Even in the, in the but but the, but the point is, no, not, nine times out of ten, no matter what you do, those types of things are probably freak accidents. You just fall the right way, snap, right. done. I'm with you. you. Know, I'm with like you. Yeah, she's not like protesting the monkey bars. Like she's no, no, no. no, no that's what we're talking. But I'm saying yeah. it's like even that school, at, which doesn't. It, she didn't fall on on probably didn't fall on hard ground. Who knows how she did it? But I'm just saying it's like it is all spongy around those things, and and people are still getting hurt. There's yep, yep. It's just gonna happen. Yeah. And real quick, <laughs> your parents funded the grade school you went to, or founded? The grade founded. School? Probably funded too. But yeah, they kind of go hand in hand. I, right? yeah, I got yeah. the word wrong. That was not the word I meant. But I meant founded. Um, that's interesting. Like they just. It's like, hey, every, all these schools suck. We're going to make a school. and I don't know, actually, the origin. I think that they wanted to... There wasn't a school in the neighborhood proper that um, these this group of parents, my parents and their friends, wanted to... Felt was... You know, it wasn't in the neighborhood, the one that they would have sent their kids to. I don't yeah. even know what schools are around there now. Um, I don't think there was a school nearby. So I think they really wanted to create a neighborhood school, is my guess. Gotcha. So we, it wasn't like you were homeschooled at a different building. No. Okay. God, no. Y- you, uh, <laughs> you know how you feel about that. All right. Mm. So um, uh, St. Louis proper or a suburb? Like, where, like whereabouts did you grow up? Um, this school in question was in St. Louis proper in the central west end of St. Louis. Okay. So and would you classify yourself as a early St. Louis city girl? Or were you? Do you see yourself more as a midwestern yeah, suburb? Yeah, no, oh, child. interesting. Yeah, um, I grew up in the city or close to the city, um, not in downtown, but uh, downtown was sort of a ghost town at that time. Interesting. Yeah, Even it's back changed. Then. Yeah, it's not so much anymore. It's okay. changed a lot. Is Bush Stadium downtown? Is like where the Cardinals play downtown? Yeah. And okay, so mm-hmm. they've they've built that up to make it 
uh, kind of like Cleveland did with their downtown. All of downtown is 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 just more active, more thriving now. Yeah. Um, my brother is a photographer and did a book called Ghost Town St. Louis at Night of all these old buildings right before they knocked some of them down, these old historical buildings. I mean, the architecture in St. Louis is stunning. I don't know if you guys have been. Uh, I actually I haven't been, like, except for driving through. So um, that was a good story, huh? Well, that's <laughs> like, it's like vacation. It's like yes. Chevy Chase and yes. Beverly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's how most people know St. Louis. But it's this incredibly beautiful, rich uh, city with a rich history. And, um, and you know, incredible, like, racial diversity and I know that it gets a lot of press for all of the racial tension there's also a lot of racial harmony there and it was a really great place to grow up um so what was so back then you saw both it was you saw both sides of that as well back then I did very much how, from what years how old were you till uh leaving your, your, your whole school life or were you young and moved away no I went to school I was there all the way through um high school oh, okay yeah I okay. graduated in uh yeah, I graduated from Clayton High School, okay. and then I then I moved to New York and went to college in New York. Okay, what you what you what was in New York for you that chose that path? Um, my music? big sister had gone. No, uh, I wasn't playing music. My big sister had gone to Barnard, and I went and visited New York. My mom took me on a college trip, and we went to. I was in a band at the time in St. Louis. I was in an R and B band, and it was a very popular R and B band that played all of these, um, played like all these proms dances. Um, bars, clubs, we did a little touring and um, they were super hip and popular and they played all covers and it was like, at the time it was all Prince for me. All <laughs> really? Prince, all day. That's all I really cared about. I did like bands like The Police, I went to see The Police, I grew up lo loving classic rock so I did know um, I loved Led Zeppelin and David Bowie and uh, it's funny to the group Led Zeppelin and David Bowie being British well they were as classic rock as anything yeah. and the Beatles and um uh, and did you play guitar and so, in this band? And so on and so on. I did not play guitar. I was a singer. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, and I I sang like Apollonia 6 and um, Sheena Easton's Sugar Walls and T Tina Marie, I Just Want to Be Your Lover Girl. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Um, you were all in. I was all in. <laughs> and I didn't want to leave the band. And my mom made me go on a college trip to see other colleges. She was insistent I go to college right away. And um, it's funny what hindsight, you know, can do because I, I can't even imagine having stayed in St. Louis and staying in that band that eventually did get signed and made a record under a different name and um, and had some somewhat of a future. But Interesting. I wouldn't have expected that part of the story because you're basically talking about a band that's doing covers at the time. Yeah, right? and then they so. started writing originals and... Um, but they didn't really they didn't really want me to be in the band full time anyway because I was a white girl. And they their some of their audiences didn't want white girls to be singing in the band. They didn't want to be sung to by white girls. So back to race again. Interesting. I was in an all black band as the only white person and um I wasn't welcome certain places. Did you take offense to it or did you kinda understand it? Like what was your perspective of it? Um I did I understood it. I really did, um, but I took offense to the band not telling me about certain gigs because they didn't want me to be at them. And there was another woman who sang named Ermini, and so they would they would uh, they would tell her about those shows. So I eventually quit the band when I saw the schedule and realized they hadn't been telling me about certain shows. And, and in hindsight, you're like, dude, if you'd have just told me, I probably would have understood. Or yeah, you I probably yeah, I was it, it you know it insulted me. I didn't like it. 
Um, That's weird. You didn't like being lied to? <laughs> yeah, funny, huh? <laughs> I didn't know that was a thing people didn't enjoy. So they called me one night to do a show. I knew that it was on the schedule, but they hadn't told me about it. I don't remember what the nature of the show was, but um, this guy Edgar in the band called me, and I, I had known about the show, but because he forgot to tell me or wasn't going to tell me or whatever it was, I had made plans to go to the Peppers prom at my school uh, with Peter Pfeiffer. And so um, he P- called Peter Pfeiffer at the Peppers prom. Exactly. And so we were on <laughs> I was our wondering way. if you were going to pick up on that. <laughs> were you waiting for that? Peter Pe- Pfeiffer picked a peck. <laughs> okay. Um, so I was on my way out and I got the call and I said, um, I'm so sorry, Edgar. I won't be able to attend that show. I have a Peppers prom to attend. With Peter um, Pfeiffer. And <laughs> with Peter Pfeiffer. And so that was that. And I so went. So were you out of the band at that point? He was like, well, you're fired. No, I quit. Oh. Yeah. Please. Because he's our next guest, and he might tell a different story. <laughs> so that bring was him that. In. But bring interestingly, him in now. Let's just bring him in early. Interestingly, um, when I was growing up, my family had been a part of the St. Louis Country Club, a sort of elite racist institution, old school, um, old money. And my grandfather had been, I don't know, on the board. My grandfather was like, um, I don't know if you guys know about the Vail Prophet Parade. Vail Prophet. Oh, well, he was the Vail Prophet, and it was the Veil Prophet King or whatever, and there's a Veil Prophet Queen, and it was really, it was really icky. Um, and um, my my mom and her sister, I think my aunt was the Veil Prophet Queen, um, and it was I think it had involved like white men in like hats or masks or something like I don't know. It, it sounds, sounds so creepy. awful. Oh yeah, like, it always sounds like something that if you stumbled upon, you'd be like, oh, okay, I gotta yeah, get out of eyes, here. Yeah, eyes wide They're shut. Gonna I'm kill totally me. thinking eyes wide shut right now. Yeah, maybe not that sinister. But like, yeah, but like everybody wearing like like fun straw hats. Like I don't know, <laughs> I don't know. Like it's like eyes wide shut for like people who dress up to go on picnics. Straw hats? No, this was elegant. <laughs> oh okay. Yeah yeah. Well nice. Nice, nice straw hats. Nice straw hats. <laughs> not, not the kind like the kind of barbershop quartet would wear. Not, not like Hayseed Johnny would wear like out in the field. I was thinking more like the thing, the the beanies that the to- the tall beanies with the uh, little tassels hanging off them. Oh, the uh, like the Shriners wear. Shriners stuff. Yeah. Uh, right? What do you call it? A fez. A fez. Yeah. yeah. Not even that. Both of us are way off. I'm oh. going to stick with eyes wide shut. A little bit more sterile, creepy, high end. Yeah, creepy. and these people fancy themselves Europeans, so there's a lot of. You know, uh, mishmash fashion, European okay. fashion. Um, and so what happened was um, they all were involved. They were all like a part of the St. Louis Country Club. And um, my aunt, um, who always um, was a, was politically driven and, and canvassed for low-income housing um, much of her life, was, was doing virtuous and, and noble and, and forward-moving um, acts, acts in St. Louis, um, she brought one of her, her little, her son had a black friend and they brought him with them to the country club and they wouldn't let them in. He wouldn't let them in. This was like in, they were much, she was 10 years older than my mom. So this was, uh, maybe in the sixties. And, um, and so my parents, they withdrew their membership. My parents withdrew. We all pulled out. Um, years later, they, uh, they had like, um, you know, they had like, they called it flirtily, like um, high society grooming for children. <laughs> um, I know that it still exists and there's various names for it um, at this St. Louis Country Club. And we were invited, my band, my p- predominantly black band, was invited to um, perform 
because they were the most popular band in St. Louis. So I returned to the St. Louis Country Club with my band and played to these kids who were just like freaking out. So um, it was just an, an interesting turn of, of events and full circle moment. Right. Um, and I was, it gave me great satisfaction. Um, I mean, the whole, the whole evening was pretty profound. Nice. And those kids were freaking out because they hadn't heard good music for a long time or ever? Or? <laughs> it was just, they were, these guys were so good. Yeah. They were so good. They were on fire. I was, I, I didn't belong with them. But I mean, I guess I added something to the mix. But then I went to college in New York and I discovered the Pixies and Brian Eno and my life changed. Yeah. Um, when did you pick up uh, a, an actual instrument or, or had you been dabbling with it anyway or were singing your first thing? Like what was, how did music flow through you? Like how did you even end up going music? Yes. Because I tried it and I was like, music, got to go. Because I, it, it wasn't <laughs> no, in me. No, I music was like, be, music said, thanks. We'll yeah, call he, you, buddy. Well, yeah. <laughs> it's so interesting how people who are um, artistically inclined don't th- th- tend to feel like everyone else should be able to do it, that it's just it's so easy, that it comes so naturally, that um, it's just, you know, that what they have to contribute isn't that unique or special. Um, I think that that is the case with musicians. It's certainly the case with me, and I have to be reminded by people like you that, no, it isn't It isn't in everyone's DNA. It's not. Yeah. It's so rare. But I grew up singing with my mom. Um, she played acoustic guitar, and we'd sing at family parties. She taught me harmony. Um some of the songs she taught me, I teach the first graders now and the kids now at our school mm-hmm. and um, second graders. And so, and then I sang with my dad a lot. My dad was a sailor and he was in the Navy um, and he had his own sailboat and we would sail in like Michigan in the summers and he, we would go out there and sing. And that was really, those are my fondest memories of my father and me singing. And they, they met in a choir, so there's no mistake there. And um, and then I went on to sing any chance I get. I got. I mean, there was singing in my grade school. There was a. There was always singing, and it was always my favorite part of the day. Um, and then I was in you know choruses as soon as they were available. Many of my favorite memories are singing in choruses, choirs. Um, I began being in musicals as soon as possible. Um, in grade school and so on and through high school. And then I was in a couple of bands in high school, one with my brother called uh, The Prodigy. Now, which is which is our band? Was it Prodigy? Which one came out in the 90s? Was it Prodigy? Yeah, Prodigy, there was yeah. a band called Prodigy. Band. That, that, that was more song, electronic. They had a song called Smack My Bitch Up. Yes. I know. Do you Prodigy. think that would fly today? No, nope. I do not. No, it would not. But they loved it in Europe. I was over there for this <laughs> vacation, and this guy was like, yeah, smack my bitch up. And I'm like, dude, what? Are you, <laughs> I, I was, uh, I'm like, okay. I have to say, I think it's a good song. It's a great song. And, may, and again... Not all songs are what they are on face value. You know, as a songwriter, some things are interpretive. I, There's I a don't. lot of great hip hop songs that talk about <laughs> really disgusting things. I said not all songs yeah. are on point or on the nose. You you know you shouldn't. You got to give. You know, it's I, I could see though that still just on face value. That if you're walking past a poster that says that, you're like, yeah. I'm sorry, what are we doing here? <laughs> yeah. I get that. <laughs> I don't know what kind of album if this is. If you don't know the context, and it may be on on point, I'm just saying that, you know. And also, I think you could get, I, you know, Eminem kind of showed you can get away with a lot of stuff depending on how you do it. 
Does that make sense? No, because like, I don't know what you're talking about. In what respect? How do you? In the way, in, the, in like, like would smack my bitch, like smack my bitch up, fly today. No, it, we kind of live in a in a in a more like we've kind of come back to the PC. It's all a loop. It's all a circle. Like we were like when I was com- in high school, there was like oh, it's politically correct. You have to be political. By the time I got to college, it was like oh, politically un- incorrect. Fuck everybody. We can make fun of everything, and then we're back to like <laughs> don't make fun of anybody. We've all got no senses of humor, and <laughs> and and that's kind of where we're at right now. But I think with some people like oh this music you can't have the word bitch in a song and now people still do it and and there's ways to i don't know i don't want to say make it make it okay i just mean make it so that people will listen to it and and not protest it every second they might yeah they might have been they they obviously might have been saying it in an an ironic way maybe Um, yeah we don't we don't know i maybe perhaps the video shed light onto that i don't know it didn't oh okay (laughs) see more shed light on a guy that was uh completely out of control on drugs if i'm not mistaken well i think he was confused about what hairstyle he wanted that's what i remember about that guy it was like (laughs) there was somehow like hair around the edges but then also a mohawk i'm not so what you're saying, Louise, is that you actually wrote the song, they stole it, name and the song, and now you're actually going to tell us what the song was all about. Is that is that we just we just, just got, got off on a weird? Got off sorry about that. Tangent. Go ahead. I stole the name. Of the, oh, exactly. No, they got. They, they got took it. everything from you. No, I was just thinking no, about having met that guy at um at V97. Oh, you actually a, met? Yeah, I met uh, him. Okay. I've forgotten his name now. Um, Probably Victor or something. I thought they like. were really good. I, I really liked that band. They, they did like they played stadiums. Yeah, they were, they were great. They were fantastic. What I have the album. I used to work out to it when I used to work out. Now I <laughs> just put on workout clothes and listen to it. Good albums. Lord. <laughs> <That's right>. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. It's overrated. Oh, huh? Working out, it's overrated. Uh, currently for me, apparently, yes. If you can't um, get into it, then yes, it's overrated. <laughs> <laughs> like everything. Um, uh, so anyway, so so but when you were in those bands in high school, though, were you playing instruments at that point or still no? You were just singing. singing. I played keyboards. You did? Yeah, I did some, not much. There were like three keyboardists in the band. Did you? Did three you? keyboardists yeah, in the band? Yeah. Oh, you? Okay. They didn't need me. Right. They just heard me play some classical music and they were blown away. So they, because I played classical piano. Oh, okay. Now, was that something That's... that, can I ask you a question? Because we didn't do this in, in my household. Maybe it's just because, again, because I, I lacked the, the musical inclination. Um, but did your parents. Be like, all right, you're gonna play piano, and like you, and and, the, and so they got you the piano teacher, and you got the little Beethoven heads when you succeeded. And, no and Beethoven like, heads. No Beethoven heads. No. Um, but so I did. They did do that. So yes. they, So and and can I ask you a question? Because this goes back to what I was saying. When you started being taught something, did it come easy to you? Even piano, did it make sense when someone says sit down and they go, "There's two hands, and this is what it's gonna sound like," and there's basically having the music flow through you and then also having the, the that memory muscle of like going back to those things very easily all those things which is why I struggle with it like it never felt like anything was going through me hmm. and I was able to bring it back out it always looked so foreign to me and mm-hmm. I couldn't get past that mm-hmm. is did, did you did you realize early on that it was it wasn't foreign to you like yeah it, it, it was it made sense yes it all made sense and it was fun it made sense. It was fun. I loved doing it. I got satisfaction out of it. Um, I I really liked it. I remember having a quasi strict teacher, but nice, you know, nice enough. They come to the house. Um, I went to hers. Okay. <clears throat> yeah, I had one later who came to the house. He was very sweet and kind, and I was always forgetting I had piano. And 
I would be down the street, like sitting on the curb with my friend, and Mr. Robinson would be waiting for me. I'd had dinner with my parents. <laughs> like, <laughs> Mr. Rob, I'd come in, I'd roll in, you know, after dark, like, oh, Mr. Rob, you're here. And he, he would just be like, yeah, away. it's yeah. Wednesday. It's time for your I lesson. I think he, yeah, he must have put aside like three hours for me. He was <laughs> so nice. But he taught my brother, um, rock songs you know so he, he i want yeah i was yeah. i was kind of i didn't want to learn classical at that point i wanted to play layla yeah. and and um i don't remember all which is still else. like the layla part the piano part of layla is still very classical sound well it is yeah, yeah. it's yeah. so beautiful i still oh, play yeah. it yeah i i can't i always get uh good fellas oh yeah stuck in my head that was I, a perfect placement for that song God, it was wasn't great. it yeah it was pretty amazing and, uh, that, and that part of the song too it's like that kind of build. It was really. It was an intense. Here's what I got out of that story. There was no cell phones, and unless somebody yelled out the out the, the front door to try to see if you were within earshot, yeah, uh, no one knew where you were well, and uh, had no idea when you were coming back. <laughs> That's what I got yeah. out of that because there yeah. was no way to track you. Absolutely, no you were tracking feral devices. At that moment. <laughs> <laughs> I was, and I was, and I loved it, and I, and that's. Um, we could spend an hour talking about <laughs> how wrong it is that everyone is trackable at this in at this state, at this stage. And I uh, think f- being feral helps with survival. I think removing yeah. every feral instinct from our children is not a good thing. Agreed. <laughs> and it also creates the frenzy for screens that furthers their you know well in in my in my opinion is is <laughs> is problematic. Um, I, the, the data is still coming is still coming in, but. Um, I, it's a great concern to me that there's so many screens in the hands of our children and not just mine. Yeah. Um, and so, um, get off and get outside. That's our theory yeah. in our household. Yeah, that's good. You will stare at the sun. Well, not stare at it. <laughs> you know that's you bad. You will yeah, stare you, at the sun. <laughs> I think it's better if I look eyes. at a screen maybe than staring at the sun. Right. But. Well, there's a book written recently that, and, and apparently the author, and I don't know the name offhand, the author is doing um, school tours um, about the the things the things that happen biologically to children, physiologically, over through especially from the ages nine to twelve, um, who are you know, in, intensely on screens, there are things that can't be um, reversed. Yeah, things that can't be reversed. Well, they find that what, what, not to get off on the tangent like you talked about, but the, but the fact of the matter is, and 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 I, there, I don't need to see any more statistics because I think I'm part of the problem as well. Is they have openly programmers have openly admitted they've figured out a way to program things that create dopamine. Yeah. Yes. So. Once they figure that out, that's why we're grabbing our screens. That's why we're going down rabbit holes. That's why we find ourselves kind of like in this fog and we're still online accomplishing absolutely nothing because they've, they've found what, what triggers those dopamine things uh, in us and that's what gets us addicted to them. And so, you know, again, it's not, I'm not putting on the tinfoil hat, you know, Art Bell, rest in peace. I'm not, I'm just saying it's like, um, he keeps the tinfoil on the inside of his baseball hat. So yeah, that's no right. Yes, he can't it. actually see it. You know? <laughs> just keep but it on the inside. <laughs> but you know what I mean? It's like, it's, I, I just, some things are just, they're right there in front of your face. You, we obviously know there's something going on there because we're all kind of like, we're hooked a little bit, right? Yeah, yeah. As people that are listening to this right now on their phones are thinking <laughs> to themselves, so what are we supposed to do right now? I mean, we're actually <laughs> Don't worry, this the... is the only thing my mom will listen to on her phone and then she'll go back to her... <laughs> in high speed. ...her busy day of traveling and dancing <laughs> and whatever else she does. So I have a friend who is um, a hopeless... Not hopeless because I still have... I still reserve hope for her, even though she just can't come back. She is a, a very serious addict. And 
I've seen her in the throes of her disease. Um, I've seen her in very dark places. I've helped to get her to rehab. I've helped to facilitate um, her recovery many times. Um, and it's a really frightening thing to to witness and to not be able to solve and cure and make better. Um, and to see, you know, like, you know, wash and repeat, wash and repeat. Um, th- I have a, another friend who has a 10-year-old daughter, and my daughter was with her when my daughter was six. Um, I think maybe six or seven. And um, my friend and I really wanted to talk because we hadn't seen each other in so long. We were in St. Louis. And this other older f- daughter had a phone, and I got a little lazy and, and stopped watching what was going on, and she had taught my daughter how to play a game called Pack-A-Pets. And my daughter begged me to download this game for her. And as and I am loath to download games for her and to give her any screen time. And this one time I thought, okay, and I'll do this. And the next morning I woke up, we were sharing a bed at my mom's house. I woke up at 6, 6.30 and she was nowhere to be found. And I'm like, huh, that's weird. Um, she's not in the bathroom. She's not in bed. I wonder where she could be. And then I found her like in a corner and she said, mom, she came. I said, Lena, what are you doing? She goes, mom. And she looked up at me like she had been up all night on drugs or something. (laughs) She looked up at me like, mom, it evolved. (laughs) It's this little animal that you feed and you know, this little creature you take care of, this virtual creature. It evolved, mom. And her eyes were like saucers. And I thought, this isn't good. And, you know, I almost, that was iPad, and I almost threw it out that day, and I didn't throw it out. There's a way to control anything, right? And it it goes back to what you kind of said. Like, if you cut too much slack, you're also part of the problem, right? Like, that's how I kind of look at it. It's like, this how, because I'll be honest with you, if you were to start digging through our cabinets over here, you'd see a lot of video game systems. Like, I mean, look, it's like a museum of, like, video games. I'm not a video game player. I never really was. Because I, I think I've joked about this with John before. Like, I'm old enough that I remember when Pong came out. But more importantly, the real shift between outside kids and inside kids happened with Space Invaders. I saw so many neighborhood kids disappear the day that Space Invaders came in their house. They never came out again. They stopped playing outside. They just sat there all day long blowing that stuff up, man. And I, and I remember walking in going... You want to go outside? You want to do? They're like, no, no. Look, look. And I, I would try. I tried. I like sat there and I watched and I stared and I was like, yeah, I don't know what's going on here, but I'm going back outside. Like it just never really connected. You couldn't with me. follow the plot of Space Invaders. Yeah, the plot. Yeah, it was a very tricky plot. This up and down thing, back and forth. <laughs> um, but no, so it's like I never really got that tied to it. But over the decades, I'm seeing more and more people that you know they quickly are like they go down that rabbit hole, man. They're gone. They're yeah. just gone. And I know that everyone now is like, ah, oh, it's just part of society. You're going to have to accept that. The touchy-feely Toys R Us is closing. Nobody wants dolls anymore. They only want iPads. They only want, right. you know what I mean? They only want iPhones. So be it, whatever. But in my house, even if I've got all this crap, got to control it. Right, Got to right. get outside. Just don't stare at the sun is what we're talking about. <laughs> Unless you get those glasses from school, the dark ones. I'm you with you. Glasses. I'm with you. You got to go outside. So, I, so I, I let them play on the iPads, but I make them wear the Eclipse glasses so they actually can't see anything that's in front oh, of them. Oh, there you the go. Dark. So mm-hmm. <laughs> I combine everything. Right? Very nice, Brian. Thank you. Thank you. I, tied, I just wanted to tie it all together. Uh, beautiful. When did guitar come into play? Uh, when I was 20 and I was in New York and um, I was living in this off-campus housing at 79th in Amsterdam. There was um, There was a mixture of 
you know, young women going to Barnard College up in on the Upper West Side, and we would t- literally take a school bus to school, um, and old like elderly people with fixed housing um, with uh, fixed rents, and they couldn't eject them from the from the building. So they were, you know, they they were able to stay, but it was it was quite a contrast. And there was a, an old man living next to us who would like moan a lot. And was very surly and hated us. So it was hard to really have a lot of compassion or know what to do to try to help him. <laughs> because he did, never would even look us in the eye, you know. Um, you were but, just a bunch of damn rascals wrecking <laughs> the place. Yes. <laughs> and there was uh, there were two women down the living down the hall. Um, one woman I met in the elevator the first day. She seemed um, like this really conservative sort of... Um, preppy girl she was from Georgia and later on I met her roommate who was kind of tomboyish and super cool and sweet and um, Puerto Rican and I connected with her right away and we became good friends and much later I realized oh they're together (laughs) (laughs) it's like Liberace the discovery (laughs) wait a minute you're what (laughs) I had heard that at women's colleges women got together (laughs) so um this so, was proof. <laughs> so this woman Maria, she was one is to date one of the coolest people I've ever met, and um, she taught me how to play Chinese rock, the Ramon song on guitar. Okay, and um, that was so that was your first guitar. Yeah, ex- like that's how you learned. That was so it. You, you didn't traditionally go Stairway to Heaven. You went. I was going to say <laughs> the of the of the of everyone I know that's ever played the guitar and heard their the first song they ever learned. <laughs> Chinese rock by the Ramones. I've never, that's never been a thing where I was like, yeah, no, of course you learned that song. Of course you didn't well, go smoke on the water. Of course you learned, you know. Well, and with that, she gave me the sheet music for the theme theme song from The Love Boat <laughs> for some reason. And did you learn that? No, I never oh, managed okay. to learn. <laughs> God, I loved that show. That would have been. That would have been a great reason to have the guitar. I could just see you going to an open mic in New York, right? So I'm going to play. This is the theme from Love Boat. (laughs) 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 Yeah, I was. uh, I never learned it. I I I don't think I had much interest in learning it. But what what was interesting? Not a call for that in any of the bands you thought you might join. (laughs) I actually never learned covers. I was never inclined to learn covers. I was inclined to start writing songs from the moment I learned a chord. Really? So that's why I believe that it's in you. Yes. The it was desire to create. It wasn't desire as much as desperation. It came out so fast. It was like it was waiting it was waiting like, for me it was to, to up. Well, I never did it on piano, interestingly. I never huh. felt like piano, although I, I have since. I've never felt like at the time I didn't understand. I didn't feel piano was a conduit for my sentiments or uh, you know emotions. It never felt like an outlet. Hmm. Uh, it always felt because I learned I, I think I, because I began reading music so young. I wasn't um, ready to write. Although my daughter just the other, just the other day wrote a song on piano, wrote a piece. She wrote the most beautiful melody line, and I thought it was some kind of classic song she was playing. And she said, "No, I, that's mine. I wrote that." She's seven, so um, so what do I know? Wow. But for yeah. me, it was guitar, and it wasn't until I was twenty, and uh, I immediately started writing songs. So there wasn't even a cha- a, a time when you. Like, cause what what I feel like if you start to play an instrument and you play you emulate the bands and musicians you like, 
in an attempt to find your own voice where then you start writing your own music and, and you kind of go forth and, and you've been influenced by all this stuff. And now, I'm not saying you weren't heavily influenced by other musicians, but to pick up a guitar and right away be like, I'm going to just start, these are my, like, you knew enough, like, within you that, that you started doing original songs right away. You didn't need to find a voice. You kind of, if you if you're going to find your voice, it was going to be through your own original material. Right. I had to find my voice and I didn't, didn't do it through others. Yeah. Um, they were, they may have been the filter already embedded in me, but I wasn't going, I didn't need to learn, um, other people's songs in order to play my own. It, I wasn't inclined to do that. Yeah. I was just, um, I was just, well, it just came most naturally to me to start, singing along with chords I was playing and singing melodies. I didn't even set out to write a song. It just started happening. So, um, and that, that was, and I, I was too eager. I didn't, I barely knew any chords. So I would just, I wrote a song called the younger child about my brother when I knew two chords. <laughs> and I wrote a song, um, for my dad for father's day when I knew two chords and Whole um, bands have existed on just two chords. Yeah. yeah. Well, <laughs> it's like, usually it's three, isn't it? Yeah. A little bit. <laughs> um, I was just sticking with two for a while. Uh, <laughs> and well, they were tribute songs. So two chords is fine. You know I mean? There's a, you know, you're going to you cut some slack cause it's like, this one's for you, dad. I don't think he's gonna be like, that's it. Where's the, th- where that's no third chord. Mm-hmm. No, I guess me. you can but call that fine. a song with the two. That's fine. Uh, he was very appreciative and very, <laughs> very sweet about it. Um, and my dad was actually a, a closet composer. In fact, he composed in his head, which is something I've come to do not composing symphonies as my dad did, but I compose songs in my head when I'm too busy to, uh, get to, a guitar or piano, which is often really? the case in parenthood. Um, I write in my head. And when there was a period of time when I had a new baby that and pregnant when I didn't want to be writing, I always thought I would write an acoustic album when I was pregnant called So I Got Pregnant and Wrote an Acoustic Album. <laughs> but that album didn't naturally um, make itself known when I was pregnant. In fact, I didn't want anything to do with music. I just wanted to watch eight bad 80s movies on Encore. <laughs> wow. Um, Some people like pickles and ice cream. You're like, bad <laughs> 80s movies. And donuts. And, and donuts. donuts. Glazed, donuts. glazed donuts. Well, okay. This Krispy is Kreme. what I like to call a Wednesday. Um, any glazed. <laughs> <laughs> and now I is ne- not the time to be picky. Well, yeah. I never noticed how many donut shops there are in L.A. until I was pregnant. They're on every corner. They're it's everywhere. It's in, and that that except, doesn't mean that they're good, by except the way. When okay, you, okay. Except when are you, you sure? really want a donut. I, can never, I feel like wherever I am when I'm like, ooh, a donut sounds good. I'm not around a donut shop, but I drive by... I probably drove by 35 donut shops on my way here. You just have to drive another block and you'll find <laughs> yeah, it. Probably, yeah. Like, like seven on each corner. I would be like, honey, pull over. It's like, what? <laughs> no. But um, but the donuts aside, um, I, I didn't want to, I wanted, I thought I'd make a record. I didn't have any interest in writing music at that time. None, none at all. And um, after she was born, I thought, oh, I definitely don't want to make music anymore. But the songs kept writing themselves. And um, I learned from my dad in his later years that that I came by that honestly and that he had been composing symphonies in his head um, for forever. Um, and I, I, he would sing parts to me. He would sing the different parts, um, the orchestral parts, the horns. Um, and it was, it was incredible. My dad's dad had told his three sons they would all be doctors and they get to choose which kind. So... My dad chose psychiatry because um, it was the most interesting or the most artistic to him. His brothers were ophthalmologists and an orthopedic surgeon, so they they chose more technical sciences. And my dad chose 
one that was, um, I guess he thought the most artistic of the three. Although uh, I guess an argument could be made that they're all artistic in their own right. In their own right. I mean, if yeah. you're a doctor of any kind, there's a little bit of an art form to it. I yeah, think. right. Absolutely. Um, but then my, my, uh, so where was I? Oh yeah, so we, we oh, you did exactly what we were hoping we were going to do in this conversation. We you, you you went from like the first time you learned a song, you talked then you talked about uh, childbirth. Oh yeah, but not not that, wanting but, anything to do with music while you were pregnant. Not oh, wanting, yeah. yeah, not wanting yeah. anything to do with music. And the songs yeah. write themselves anyway. Yeah. Yeah. But the, so, I, I, so I guess the question is though, all right, so you're starting to mess around with this. You're in New York, which is a great place whether New York, Chicago, Los Angeles, any big city. At what point did you be like, all right, I either got to find... Did you start performing by yourself uh, at clubs? Did you immediately find other people and start a band? Like, what... Where, where did it turn... Where did it start turning into something more than just fiddling around? Because you went out there to be in college, for what we didn't really discuss, but, like, I don't know what you Yeah, what were you majoring in when you were out there? I was an English major. Okay. I wanted to double major in art history, but I realized that a little too late. Um... I took a survey arts, art history course and then an um, arts of China course that was incredible. And I really wanted to incorporate that into my, into my major, but I, it was just too late. So, um, so yeah, I was an English major and I didn't really, I didn't know what I wanted to do after college at all. And I had, um, been writing songs and I was interested in being in a band, but I really hadn't sorted out what kind or what I wanted to do if I wanted to play. I, and, and I remember there was one ad I answered in college for this awful, awful band. <laughs> and uh, yes. I went to this horrible practice space, this shitty, like, nasty practice space, and, um, and like, met this crazy mishmash of people who were starting a band together. And the guy, there was, like, this... I mean, the, they all races are represented. Let's just say that. And then there was the one, the one white guy was um, kind of a city slash surfer dude who had was playing his, his guitar, left-handed guitar, like the B-52s guitar player without without two strings in the middle. Uh, <laughs> because was, because the B-52s yeah, did just, that, or because yes, he, okay. no, but yes, because of the B-52s. It so was without so the what what like weird. the D and the what, what strings you take off. So the, I guess he took out the D and the G string. Why? What? Um, I I I don't. He he thought it was a good way to play guitar. He didn't have his own identity. I, I'll yeah. answer that question. Nobody right there. there did. So okay. yeah, anyway, that the versions problem. of. Yeah, so that didn't that didn't happen. Um, I'm assuming you went to that thing going one of two things is going to happen today. I'm either going to be in a new band or I'm going to die. So <laughs> right. you know, let's let's. Did they did they ever do anything? Did you ever know that that these people went off and like? I mean, is this like? Or was that the left? Did the, you ever the hear one the one and only time? You ever I have met? no idea. Okay. That was that. that was yeah. But um, I took a poetry class my senior year, and I really didn't know much about contemporary poetry. And the professor was a visiting professor named Elizabeth Sokolow. And she had me come to her office after I submitted um, my samples, and along with a number of other people. And she said, you're essentially writing light verse right now. I've been studying Victorian poetry and Ben Johnson and John Donne. She said, if you're, if you, if you're not going to get, I'd want you to know before taking this course that you're not going to get anything above a C. And, um, if you'd like to take it, you're welcome. But, um, I don't want you to expect anything higher than that. And I thought, bitch, let's see, <laughs> we'll see about that. And I went, uh, I went ahead and aced it and learned 
it was like a sponge. I just soaked up all of the contemporary poets and poetry I could. Um, and, and I, and all of the poetry in my class, it was a, you know, it was a, in a conference room and it was, um, what do you call those classes? I can't remember. Um, as not a lecture, but a, um, assembly hall. No, what? no, it was just in a tiny little room. Um, I just call those classes. I went to a very small college. Okay, so, so it was a class. class. And I skipped most of them, so I can't remember what the name of they are. Well, I, I skipped... Um, I actually... Skip uh, I, I skipped uh, ballet and music theory. Um, I've, I I either got a D or an F in music theory. It brought really? my GPA way down. Dude, you know yeah. what, though? It That's sounds like you went to college because one of the things you learn in college is how to not go to class. Yes, exactly. It's a yeah, strategy that you, you <laughs> basically lay out your calendar, you lay out your desires in life, and then you go, let me see here. How can I get away <laughs> with doing the bare minimum? Can I manipulate this and still get those points at the end of the year and those grades? Well, it's true. And I had a boyfriend in St. Louis, so my heart was there, sort of, you know, and... Um, and then I was always, but my favorite class was poetry and I would sit wistfully on these, like, you know, these outdoor, you know, in New York, there are all those, the, what do you call them? The, um, the stairs going out, the scapes, the... Oh, fire escapes. Fire escapes, thank yeah. you. And look at the water towers, those beautiful black water towers against the sky, the silhouettes of the water towers that... Um, I thought were so poetic and ghostly and um, and I would sit out there and write poetry and and I ended up getting a prize for the most original poem by a Barnard undergrad. It was my like my biggest Jesus, honor wow. in college. So did you I, ever like walk up to that professor again and be like, hey, in your face? <laughs> no, I don't I don't think I needed to. <laughs> but the I, way she laughed, she wanted to. I know, I don't it. think I don't think I needed to. I think by the end we both knew what had happened yeah, and what had transpired okay. over the course of the semester. But um but so I was really in, into poetry and into writing songs. And from there I went to um that dude from from home um, sort of broke my heart, and he was in a band, of course. And I ended up going to uh, going to Israel for the summer. And right before going to Israel, I had I went to um, visit Chicago um, with said guy and some friends, just to hang out. Hear just music, to hang out, yeah, 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 exactly. Hear some blues. We went to, you know, yeah. It was, yeah, it was incredible. And I also had a childhood friend named Spoonie, and we went to. Um, see his theater company they were called the new criminals and they were working out they did this form of theater called commedia dell'arte with white face makeup it was sort of a bastardization of that um this that this style that came from italy in the 17th century or 1700s and that the Teatro de Soleil had taught two famous actors, uh, Tim Robbins and John Cusack, and they had taken the style back to their respective hometowns, L.A. and uh, Chicago. And John had taught it to his friends in Chicago, his acting friends, and Tim Robbins taught it to his acting friends in L.A. And they started the Actors Gang, and the guys in Chicago started the New Criminals or New Crime. Gotcha. And so... Uh, I went and saw this company work out, do um, comedy improv, and it was so incredible. It was mind-blowing. It was like punk rock theater. Um, everything was in heightened states of emotions. It was all impro improvised. Um, and I was just so freaked out afterwards. Like, I thought, I want to do that. I want to do that. And then I went to went to Israel, ended up going to Israel for six weeks. My, this guy, it, this guy ended up like, I don't know, he's cheating on me. And, uh, and so I called a high school friend and he was studying at a yeshiva in Israel. And he's like, come visit, come to Jerusalem. <laughs> so I booked a flight Which that day. Which we all do usually during a breakup. Yeah. Right. We I'm just like, going to Israel. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you sure you don't want to just go to the bar and, uh, <laughs> nope. Nope. I had to get uh, as far away as possible. I yeah. just sat in my room and cried usually during breakups. I didn't really go far. Aw. Life. This <laughs> 
<laughs> it got me where I am today. Yeah. I'm okay. You are okay. <laughs> are we you? all have our process, right? I've done a certain amount of crying, you know, into my beer as well. So I think we've all we've, we've all, all been there. It. So you're in um, so you, you sobbing to Stevie Nicks and um yeah, so I went to Israel and and while I was there, I, I there was a moment in there was a moment of truth in which I was invited to continue my stay. I could have stayed the whole year and I was I was driven to do that and yet I had this feeling like I needed to go back to St. Louis. I needed or to Chicago. I wanted to move to Chicago and either be in this in this theater company or start a band. And that that won. I was either going I had a really incredibly spiritual moment in Israel when I was uh, touching the Western Wall and I felt like the the uh, a friend of mine from college had said whatever you do go to the Western Wall put your hand on it just don't don't ask questions just do it. And I thought, oh, boy, here we go, <laughs> Margaret and her woo-woo stuff. And um, so I thought, okay, well, I'll do it. And and this was like towards the end of my stay. And I I went down during the day, and I, I went to the Wailing Wall, and I leaned up against it. There was just like a smattering of old women praying and men davaking. And and uh, and I walked up to the wall, and this old woman said, Dor Mitzvah to me. And I I leaned up against it, and I put my hand on it, and I felt instant tears. I was just feeling normal. And then I felt this rush of energy through my body and instantaneous tears. Um, like, And it truly felt like the pain of the ages of all women <laughs> was coming through me and coming through my eyes. And I couldn't... I, that's the best way I can explain it. And, wow. Uh, I so felt, you were caught completely off guard. I was caught completely off guard. I thought, well, Margaret told me to do this, so I better go do this. <laughs> You're just following orders, basically. Yes, I was following orders. I had no idea. And um, I stayed there as long as I could kind of take it, uh, sobbing at the wall. And um, then I sort of pulled myself away and moved on. And there are all these, and for anyone who doesn't know, there are all these tiny little prayers, little scrolls tucked into the wall when you go down and you're close to it. These little tiny scrolls people have tucked into the wall, like thousands and thousands of them, little prayers. Um, so I was... I, I I wanted to stay and deepen my understanding of God. I was going to a lot of, uh, I was listening to a lot of, uh, I wasn't raised religious, but I was listening to a lot of rabbis um, give talks and lectures. And I was living with um, one of my best childhood friends who was going to studying with rabbis at Yeshiva in Jerusalem in the old city. And I was learning so much about Judaism and I was loving it and I wanted to stay and learn more. But I also really wanted to go to Chicago and like, I had this pull and I, I felt like time was ticking and I was in my twenties and I had to go do this. So I went and because I went, um, I started writing songs. I did get to this theater company. I went, I was in two plays with them. I did all the workshops. Um, it was incredible and life changing. And when I eventually began a band, uh, and writing my own songs in a band and singing my songs in a band and people would say, isn't that scary? And I'd say, are you kidding? I was in, <laughs> I was in new crime. I did, yeah, improvisation. I did improv <laughs> acting in front of audiences that wanted to be entertained right. now. Like, yeah. Right. So I'm singing my own lyrics that I had the luxury of sitting in my bedroom and writing. I even wrote them myself. No problem. Um, but that was, um, that was, uh, that was how I came around to, well, I didn't even, you, you didn't know about the theater part, but that's how no, I came but around to music. And eventually the theater company was, was male driven. It was started by John and Jeremy Piven and now a known actor and his, um, and, uh, 
um, Adele Robbins was Tim Robbins' sister. Um, Paul Quinn, Aiden Quinn's brother. Um, Jesus. And a lot of, uh, yeah, a lot of heavyweights. Yeah. Um, and a lot of very talented actresses. Um, uh, I think Lily Taylor was involved in the beginning of New Crime. Um, she was a Chicago actor who grew up with those guys and studied with Jeremy's parents in, in Evanston and at the at the Piven Theater Workshop, as did I for some time. And um, after after being working out with this company for a year and a half to two years, the two plays I'd been in were. Um, they were chosen by the men who started the company. They were male, male predominantly um, male characters. There were, you know, there would be like a token female, and um, and there wasn't enough room for the talent that they had, the talent pool. So the the women were getting sort of left out or put aside. And there was also a a band that accompanied the the show, the shows that we put on. And I was asked to be in. Um, an alternate, um, an understudy slash um, alternate cast in this particular show we did, um, and to be in the band when I wasn't being playing this character. And in the end, they decided to undouble cast the show and asked me to continue playing in the band. And then I was like, you know, I'm actually, I'm actually an actor, and I want to be in the show. Um, and we're always being mislabeled. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's great, guys. You do know that. Uh... I, I came here to act, right? Right. Mm-hmm. All right, so just go back over to the band. Right. Okay, just wanted to be heard, but I guess I'm not. And so it was after that that um, uh, I was very good friends with Bill Cusack, and he and I were, went down to Lower Links, and we were having a pint, and that's that's something people do in Chicago. On, like, cold winter nights, you go to the Lower Links or... John's getting very excited right now. Uh, you know it? As you can tell by his hat. Chicago. I mean, I mean, I I like Chicago. I'm not from, I'm from the Burbs, but like, I like Chicago. Oh. And yes, I people saw, talking about getting a pint and like, oh, yeah, that's very. It's Well, it's very close to Wrigley Field, this place. And so, um, and I remember him saying, well, you're a good actor. Or he might have said great, but I'm, I think, <laughs> seem to remember good. Interesting that you would lie the other way then. Like, he might have said <laughs> great, but I'm going to go yourself. with good. Like, yeah, normally over the years, yeah. we usually upgrade the stories. You I actually know. downgraded yourself. I'd, he said he'd never seen anyone like me in all of his years <laughs> looking at actors. I'd like to think that he said great, but, um, you know, we'll, I'll have to ask him. Um, what did you say that night? I'm sure he doesn't remember. But what he said was something I never forgotten, which is, um, but I see you mainly as a poet, singer, songwriter. I mm. see you making records. And because Billy had come from a family of the Cusack family, his sister Joan, uh, you know, we lived in Chicago. And so all of, I grew up thinking that pe- actors and people in bands were from different planets. Um, and the joke in my house was I would say, Mom, I'm going to Hollywood. I'm leaving. And she'd say, Where are you going? And I'd say, Hollywood. And I had no idea where Hollywood was. <laughs> I didn't, you know, I didn't. Going into the television. <laughs> right. And um, so that night changed my life. And there's something about Billy being closer to that dimension and my not understanding or even connecting to that or understanding like that this was possible. These things were possible. And so I was just coming to a place in my life where I realized, oh, that's possible. I can do something like that. And um, and the idea of making records was intoxicating to me. And that did it. He said, record a song a day. He gave me an assignment. I was following orders again. <laughs> record a song a day on your four track. And I said, okay. So that's what I did. And um, and then Billy had an, I was living with Billy and he had an ex-girlfriend named Lily, Lily Taylor. And 
I had recorded some songs. My brother was an engineer. Um, my brother, also a musician, my little brother, Eric, was an engineer at a studio in St. Louis. And um, he um, he asked me to come down and, and record some songs, or he helped me record them. And I was playing... You do it solo, just so clear, right? This is just, just me you. by myself, okay. yeah. All right, continue, sorry. Acoustic, no problem. Acoustic guitar? Um, acoustic. Yeah. And... So um, you went to... Your brother said, come on down to mm-hmm. St. Louis. And so I didn't, and then I was playing these demos I had just recorded at this New Year's Eve party that I had with Billy. And um, Billy had asked me to, ask if, if it would be okay with me if Lily came to the party, because Lily, he, Billy and I were dating, well, living together, technically dating and living together. Um, Which one came first? Uh, <laughs> Which one was the discovery? Really? Which one was the discovery? We were, hey, wait a minute, we're living together? <laughs> we were in a theater company, we started dating, and then we moved in. Um and he's the only other man I ever lived with besides my husband. Oh. Yeah. I, after we broke up, I thought, that's it. Not until not until I, I meet the one. So, um, and and Billy, so Billy said, do you mind if Lily comes? And I said, I don't know about that. And he said, no, you're going to love her. You have to meet her. It was almost as if he was directing my life. You know, he was the divine force in my life guiding me to my next fa- phase and, you know, um, venture or whatever. Um because Lily then heard my music and came up to me and not only did I love her instantly, but she came up to me and said, is this you? And I said, yes. And she said, you have to meet my friend, Nina. She's been trying to find someone to play music with. And she just graduated from Tufts as she was, which for me was interesting because we were both back from the East coast and she can't, she, she needs, she's trying to find someone and you are the one. You have to meet Nina. She said it with such urgency and such conviction that I, I wasn't going to cross Lily in the first place. Right. But after that, I was like, okay, okay, just say when. And uh, then she went back to New York. She later went to a party that night and saw Nina and said, you have to meet this woman, Louise. And then she went back to New York. She like sprinkled her fairy dust and left. And when she came back, or when, when sorry, when she went back to New York, she, I guess, gave us each other's numbers. And, um, Landlines. We got together on a blind date. Were they landlines? Did you guys get they, each Of course they were landlines. Yeah. What are they not going to be walkie-talkies, dude? <laughs> what Here's frequency is she on? Real. Here's a ham radio. Um, <laughs> What's their handle? So we, so what? that is like a blind date. Did, yeah. And, and what was that call? Like, uh, uh, hi, I start, my friend told me to call you. Like, I mean, how do you... <laughs> <laughs> I think um, it's no. different for women, right? You guys are probably like, hey, we both know that well, let's get together. Yeah. Okay. I mean, we were, you know, we basically, we were told to call one another. So it wasn't as if one of us right. had something the other wanted or there was some, there was a mutual, we had a, a you know, a connection. And, and a mutual interest. A mutual interest, yeah. yeah. As well. Like, so music right? was, guys, yes, yeah. music was the thing that brought us together, definitely. And um, the funny part is that she thought I was blowing her off because I had, we were we had plans to get together, and um, I got really sick. I just had a bad cold, and so I called and canceled. And she said, and I heard vegetable chopping in the background. I heard, and I thought, oh, paranoid much? <laughs> Jesus! And I know we laugh about it all the time, but um, that vegetable chopping. And it's good uh, to know in the future. So oh, make sure there's no vegetables, vegetables when you're lying to your friend yeah. about not being able to meet up. Listen, I can't she, make she, it. Today. What's going on in the background? I'm not cutting cucumbers. <laughs> I think she's making a stir fry. <laughs> she must be having people over. Oh, she, I can hear the walk. <laughs> Does anybody use a walk anymore? Yeah. I don't know. So then, uh, you know, we got we got over that. We actually got together. I, I brought my guitar, and um, I heard her sing and her played sh- in her song. And then she heard she heard me, and 
And then we sang together. And I thought, this is what I'm going to be doing. This is it. And I said, um, how many days a week do you want to practice? Can we do three? She said, yeah, let's do three. And, um, and that was that we did that for a year and a half before we met our bass player. We just played on our own. We did open mics and, um, I think, and pl- yeah, just, I think open mics only. We wanted to be a band prior to meeting Nina. I'd put an ad in the reader for, no, did I answer an ad? I may have answered. Um, I did. I answered an ad and I went to go meet this woman at the L at an L seven show at this place called the Avalon. And she had yes. invited me to, <laughs> she, she told me to meet her at the L seven show. And so I went to the show I saw these cool girls come out in this small club and set up setting up these instruments and I thought, wow, they have really cool girl roadies. Right? And then they picked up their instruments and started playing. And I'm like, <laughs> oh, is that when shit. you realize that bands have to set up their own shit? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> You're like, oh, that's that a was work. the revelation. <laughs> yeah. That was it. <laughs> yeah. But L seven, um, they were they rocked pretty hard. I was I was uh, you know, yeah, changed forever. Um, and then I saw Jennifer Finch in the, uh, in the bathroom after and just so geeked out. I couldn't even, I couldn't say anything. This, you know, shitty little bathroom. Um, and I just, I couldn't believe it. I bought the cassette and, um, and that, yeah, that was, that was also life changing. So when I, when I got together with Nina, um, I had L7 in the back of my mind, um, so when we started veering to towards Indigo Girls, I you know we we had to reel ourselves off of the ledge, uh, reel ourselves back in. No, don't disrespect because no no no, you no know. but it's a different stylistically. Yeah. It's, just, it's a different. You're heading two different directions. Yeah, you, and wanted, I, you wanted to be closer to fine. <laughs> Sorry. Thank you. Hey, um, hi oh. Hey, I'll give it to him. Hi oh, and we're back. <laughs> I had to. I don't I, know why. I had fallen in love with uh, the Pixies and my bloody Valentine, and um, which is something you had referenced when you went to New York. So it sounds like there was obviously always something that was kind of there. Anyway, yeah, so. yeah, yeah. And and Sinead O'Connor had, had a big influence, made a big influence on me. And PJ Harvey's first record, Dry. Um, so we were we were not inclined to be an acoustic duo. Um, from the get-go, but we had to, we really were like honing our sound and our friendship. Yeah, I mean, and then and then when you add people, you you make sure that those people blend with you two as a, you know what I mean? That's it, right. Because ideally, I mean, I, I assume you figured, did and she wrote songs too, right? I mean, you guys. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so you were the driving force of whatever it was going to be was going to be your band together, right. pretty right. much. So, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, and we, we put, actually put an ad in the reader for, Chicago reader for a, um, for a, f- a female rhythm section, and possibly because of the time there just weren't many. We when, when, when approximately that uh, was, was ninety um, ninety three. Ninety three, okay. Yeah, because our first record came. Well, might have been ni- no, it was ninety three because our first record came out in ninety four. Um, but our bass players, there, so the women we did play with weren't right. They weren't right for us. And then we played with a couple guy drummers who weren't right as well. And I had to sort out what made what. Why weren't they right? Why what, weren't they right? What you know, would make them right? Right. I didn't really understand what made a good drummer in my estimation, you know? Um, and and regarding the bass player, uh, we got a call from a dude who said, well, I'm not really, I'm not a girl, but... Um, <laughs> Thanks for clarifying. You're like, and click. <laughs> I know I'm not a girl, but I really like your influences. I think we had said Game Theory, Big Star, um, My Bloody Valentine... Um, and maybe the Pixies and, and he, um, 
and he came up. We're like, okay. So he came and played um, bass with us, and he was clearly the guy because he brought our music to the next level, enhanced it, and he made us much cooler also. There's just something about his playing. And then Nina's brother said, um, well, I'm not, a, he, he played every instrument except drums, but he had such a good ear and was so um, good at, at knowing what he wanted to play, not necessarily as good as executing the fills, but he had such good feel and, and he offered to come down and play with us. Um, I didn't know yet what good feel he had because we hadn't yet played with him, but when he came and started playing with us, having played with, you know, I don't know, kind of jockey drummers that were just sort of philalicious, you know, they were just all over the place. There's, yeah, there is, there's like the, the, there's like the, the drummer for ACDC who in that first record played no fills, right? a whole record with no fills. And then there's guys who are like, you're like, Hey dude, are you going to go back to the song or are you going to make your little, have your little fun every five seconds? Listen, he didn't put on all those sweatbands, you know, to not, to not to just take it to the next level, There's a happy medium in there that, that can be worked on, but yeah. Yeah, so he played it. He was he was Bonham-esque, and I that's what we needed. Yeah, um, and so the, a band was born. And when you this is where you and I started having brief conversations before, which is what I really like because obviously John's gonna make fun of me for one second, uh, and then way we'll get more back than into that. It. Okay, fine. what? Oh, because you're so when I was in radio. <laughs> oh my god. But no, but this Every is show. this is the conversation. No, this that, makes that, sense. Yes, this was the conversation that I started having with Louise that prompted me to want her to come on the show. Was the fact that at that time things started changing in music, drastically changing in music, and you and I, you may or may not remember this part of the conversation, but I was talking to you about like now, so removed from this, looking back on a twenty twenty plus some years ago. That was a huge change in the in the music scene. The music world was going on at that time, and I was fortunate enough to be working in radio at that time. Where I think we're talking about Q one hundred and one was in Chicago. I was working at LUM in Milwaukee. But seeing in the that early part of the nineties, with you know MTV having um, what's the show on Sunday nights um, that they used to have on Sunday nights? Headbangers uh, Ball. No, 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 no. The alternative. Um, oh yeah, yeah. Matt Pinfield. Uh, uh, one hundred twenty minutes. One hundred twenty minutes. I was. I hosted it twice. I can't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Thanks for your help. No Thanks problem. Help. Um, but uh, uh, the, the the change was coming. It was, and it, and it was a huge. It, like historically, now we can look back on it and go, "Oh my God!" Like that was a big moment in music history and one of the things that w- w- it was a byproduct of is like before that it was um aor basically rock radio and top 40 and country and then all of a sudden along comes this whole new sound this whole new generation that changed everything about music and it has and it's and it's forever changed since then and, and i was talking to you about how you were a part of of that and and how cool that is to be a part of that whole new generation that that shifted what we see as music now. They, it's a little bit more mainstream now, as you know. Music is definitely that that part of it has evolved since the Q one hundred and one days or the stage, alternative radio days. Mm-hmm. But that was a huge mass. I don't know how you look back on it, but I look back on it like that was a massive monumental shift. South by Southwest was forever changed back then. It was just a huge, huge well, deal. And it was such a they didn't have. It scared people. Like people didn't know how to label. If, you know, they want to label everything. So rock, like, either straight this, rock, this or is, straight pop. This is alternative to anything. So it became like, oh, I like alternative rock, and you're like, what? <laughs> like that's still rock and roll. Like it's all like there's still rock and roll, you know. But my, I guess I had a very unique way of looking at it from the side that I was on, the non-musician side. I'm curious as to what you saw 
from your side because there were certain cities, Chicago being one of them, that was influencing what people were into, what people were listening to now. And you came from part of that. And I, I, I wonder, as you guys were building up who you became, if you were seeing that all around you as well, I mean, if you really, if if you were like kind of looking around, going, "Wow, this is like this is crazy!" Like in the moment, did you see it? Did you not realize it? Were you just kind of rolling with whatever? What was as you were as you were starting to grow into this now? What were you seeing in the scene and as well as personal development? Well, for me, things started shifting. I think um, back in New York when um, Appetite for Destruction came out, Guns and Roses like changed. Um, she, they changed the layout like they they broke new ground even though what they were doing was possibly throwback classic rock continuation of they still uh were very like of the moment at that time and um doing something different um and f- on the heels of guns and roses came this is how i think of the the order of things um and the evolution of rock at that time guns and roses was the hottest thing you know to ever happen and then suddenly Jane's Addiction was there and they came out with nothing shocking which was shocking Mm. um and changed the changed the landscape again just flipped it on its head like Cockrock was out absolute like making fun of Cockrock was in in the smartest coolest most talented artsiest way um like Dave Navarro's girlfriend didn't Dave Navarro wear diapers in that video on stage? I mean, there was something. <laughs> they um, were, that was a, Jane's Addiction was an interesting band. Yeah. Yeah. So I remember going to a party in Chicago and, um, yeah, another now famous actor's party. Uh, and we were all, I was in a room. I was in the, I was in this room with a bunch of other people who love nothing shocking as much as I did. We were, we were holed off from the rest of, the party just listening to the album and freaking out like on every song just freaking out that album is insanely good yeah yeah it like it is and when you first hear it i i mean i freaked out because i was like what the fuck is this (laughs) i know like you don't even like i got appetite for destruction the big thing for me was that when that album came out i was like you know what I remember taking all my tapes and moving my Van Halen collection back. Yep. Uh, each one and putting Guns N' Roses first and going, you know what? GNR is my favorite band right now. And my brother going, what? You, what about Van Halen? And I go, no, no, no. They're still good. I still like them. But right now it's GNR. And like three weeks later, I was like, okay, I'm back to Van Halen. But that GNR album is forever one of the greatest things I've ever heard. I am, I'm so touched by that story. That is so cute. <laughs> It was a big deal to me. Music has been huge in my life from like day one. I don't know. I mean, I guess my dad was musical, but like I, that, it meant it meant so much. And like being, I remember getting the ten CDs for a penny and getting nothing shocking and being like, yeah, because I'd heard some, uh, I'd heard some of Ritual De Lo Habitual first, and oh. then and then was like, yeah, Jane's Addiction, and then I heard nothing shocking. I'm like, no, th- this is way better. Like, it's not. I shouldn't say way better. It's not like the other album isn't good. But it 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 shook my brain. I don't think any of us can deny that the discovery of new music is one of the greatest things to if if you're into music at all, it is the greatest emotion to have. Yeah, you feel like that you, discovery. Yeah, yeah. Like and, and, and literally, like you're talking about, like you're so into it, like you're trying to get into 
whatever the kids listen to now, I guess it'd be MP3 players. But like back then, you're like trying to like crawl into the CD or right. into the album because you're like, oh my God, how much closer can I get to what I'm oh, experiencing well, right now? It's a weird feeling. And along those lines, um, my friends at the time were theater people. Nobody wanted to go see Jane's Addiction with me at the Aragon Ballroom. So, no, it was at the, was it, no, it was the Aragon, yeah. Uh, so I saw Jane's Addiction at the Aragon? I did. I went, uh, I, I went by myself. I scalped a ticket. I went down to the front. I just made my way down there. <laughs> I did. I was all elbows and I got in the pit and I was lifted off of my feet and I thought I could die tonight and that'd be okay. But these songs are pretty damn good. And yep, and Perry and Farrell's up there in his sun hat with roses everywhere singing summertime rolls on a balcony. And I was in heaven. I was it was Beatlemania for me. Yeah. Um and then on the on the tail end of that and the ritual came out I was a purist, so it never quite hit me the same way. Although then she did is still one of my all-time favorite songs, and and then Nirvana happened, and that changed the whole face of music again. It just flipped everything on its head. So um, that to me was the real death of any kind of cock rock, the Nirvana thing, like any kind of like like if you mean whatever was left over. Yeah, I mean GNR blew all that out of the water. And then, like, when Nirvana hit, I felt like Motley Crue went to bed, like, we're famous, and woke up, like, why was everyone making fun of us? Like, <laughs> well, and yet, I'm Kurt Cobain may roll over in his grave when I say this, and anyone still living also, but uh, there's something cock rock about Nirvana. There, the, there's, I mean, it's, when you look back on all of those bands, yep, there, absolutely. the differences are it's so small, <laughs> you're like, oh, it's just rock and roll. You made rock and roll. You made different rock and roll. D- like, it was right. d- different rock and yeah, roll. Yeah, it's like, Intelligent rock and roll, yeah. Uh, as was Jane's Addiction, um, but but also there's been, I mean, the, that's not to take away from like the David Bowies and the guys who like I felt made intelligent rock of and course. roll, and like of course before no, that. But I guess what I'm saying is like there, it became a steamroll. It it's just like it it changed. Things changed. You could clearly see that there was a, there was a changing of a gar. There was a change in the environment. There was like everything about it. Like that's that's when when they call that quote unquote the scene. You mm-hmm. can you can feel it. You can mm-hmm. see it around you. It wasn't status quo anymore, and that and it and it created like a feeding frenzy for better or worse. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, sometimes like for every one you get right, the record labels were just grabbing anything that was out there that resembled it. And then, but I think that kind of just goes with I was going to say, that's it's what always, record labels do, isn't it? Yeah, like they kind of do. They're like, oh, and, you but, sound like a band we already rep. Let's rep well, you too. But we the, were in the... No, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, to put a button on that, yeah. the only reason why it it, uh, it, it, it kind of like got a little bit worse during that time, but if you, were, if you stayed focused, you could still find the great stuff, was because the new format had arrived. There was another radio station where they could flood more information. So... It wasn't just all. It wasn't just a rock station, a country station, and a top forty station anymore. There was this new format, and radio was still extremely powerful back then. It was yep. extremely influential. It was an exciting and, time yeah, for sure. It was, it was. You saw immediate impact, which is so bizarre. Yeah. To me, in the music business, I was fortunate enough to to uh, uh, be with a band, uh, the Guffs, that did not make it. But we were touring with Matchbox Twenty, and I I remember seeing when when they hit, it was just weird. Mm-hmm. Like when it when the power of radio, and influence, and and fanaticism, which you probably saw the same growth, directly, is just stunning to me. It's yeah. a, it's a unique experience that I don't know how you look back on it, but I just remember seeing it from us from a just being off to the side and going weird. Easy. Yeah, we were in the vortex of that sort of feeding frenzy, signing frenzy, 
um, the likes of which I don't know if anyone has ever seen since or, be, or before or since. Um, but we were in the middle of it all, and we were signed after our third show to an indie label in Chicago. We were stunned. You said after three shows? Yeah. Yes. I mean, in hindsight, there's nothing wrong with that. Clearly, you guys... Yeah, of course. Well, so we, in hindsight, of course. Oh my God, we got so much shit from Chicago oh. just as a city. They hated us. Oh we really? Were, well, yeah, because we were these indie darlings that popped up overnight, and there's no, guys have been in bands to 15 yeah, years, okay, seven, 20 that, years. That yeah. part of it? These fucking broads move in from out of state to get a record deal. Well, like, we had, uh, we had no one. You know, we have been you know, behind closed doors for some time. And right. we felt like yelling that from the rooftops, like we're blue collar too. And no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> you know, we were just meant to Can't say, ball. we have a work ethic. Watch me yeah. put on this beer. Um, we worked really hard to get where we are. And, and, and yet what, what people saw was, you know, these, these upstarts that were doing well out of nowhere. Um, and, it pissed them off. Even my husband now tells me that he couldn't stand the, just like the whole Veruca assault phenomenon. Really? Yeah. And he said then this one day. This was before or after you guys got married. Oh, uh, he told me this after. He told me this recently that he was, I mean, it was. He holds on. Wait, wait but I've been Chicago? with him so long that recently might have been five years ago. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it was, he was, he's not from Chicago. He's from Minneapolis. Okay. But and that, that's still. Those, but he, no, he was living was, there. He yeah. was living in Chicago. Uh, okay. Yeah. And he said he was driving around one day and heard Volcano Girls on the radio, and he's like, all right, they're good. Okay, I, can't, I can't deny it anymore. That's I'm done. Great, That's um, cool. But yeah, so that, but we were sudden, we were swept up in all of that craziness. And I, I'm absolutely guilty of that myself. Like we were, as we were making our record, Exile and Guyville came out by Liz Fair. And she was suddenly everywhere. You couldn't like look anywhere without seeing Liz Fair's face. And I was competitive with her. I felt like there, was, there wasn't enough room for all, for all of us girls, you know? There's always been that message, that pervasive message that, to women. There, you, there are not an, there's not enough space for all of you. So you have to, you know, work really hard to get noticed. And, and like in the theater company, you know, you have to, there's someone who's better than you. You won't be, there won't be room for you. Um, well, coming from the radio side, that's that. That's not a myth. I mean, that's that. Oh, there's absolutely. definitely is yes. true. Like, there, you know, I mean, the, you know, when you're programming something, their attitude was like, you can't put that many women artists back to back to back. I mean, like, what are you doing here? Like, there, there's so all of you. You are dead on in the fact. Like, no one ever said you can't put that many male artists back to back to back. It's just we have that same problem in stand up comedy. It's like. No, no, no! You can't. That's too many women on one show. Like it's just like there's right. this weird. It's just it's just not a fair playing field. Right, everybody should always admit it. But the fact that you were aware of it and you made that, and it's obviously your, you 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 liked you like you must like a little bit of competition because obviously we're talking about poetry class. Somebody said you're not. Maybe right. you should get, you're like okay, yeah, I see where this is going. <laughs> yeah, it's not like you, <laughs> we'll, you we'll shied see, away we'll, from it. Yeah, we'll see about that. But right? yes, but like a slugger. Well, and back to your point, like there's there are chick flicks, right? But are there dick flicks? No. No, that's not a phrase. Well, it's not a phrase, but there are. I mean, well, there are. Rambo <laughs> is, I mean, First no, Blood is a dick flick. It's right. Like <laughs> the stuff that guys watch, like, I could be Rambo. I could be Rambo. Like, that's a. But women because the women directors, women actors, women predominant, women in casts are still such a novelty that it's, they're still called, there is it something called a chick flick. Right, yeah, there is yeah, a name, yeah, there yeah. is a phrase that's cast about. But back to Liz Fair, I just like Tony eventually had to concede that Ruger Salt may not may not be all bad. I listened to Exile and Guyville, and as I listened to it, I thought, "Oh shit, this is good. 
this is really good. And then it went, it made its way into my heart and it became mine. And so that by the time I met her, I was, you know, a just a fan. I was gushing and, and it changed, changed my world. And, 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 you know, so that, and in fact, we had, she had made her record with Brad Wood, who was our producer for American Thighs. And she was, um, he was in her band. He was the drummer in her band. And he was frankly only talking about her and her band the entire time he was making our band. So, um, Brad, who's very good friends, was a very good friend of mine. And I, um, have laughed about this now where he would just talk about Liz and Liz and more Liz. And there was a, at the time her record came hit 250,000 copies. He got a call from Matador to telling him. So we were in the studio with him making our album that we, we really only thought like our boyfriends and our our families would hear, you know, maybe really? a smattering of Is other people. Is that true? You really you were like you knew you you had the confidence to go make an album. We thought it was great. We thought what we were doing was incredible, but we wouldn't have dr- dared to dream. Okay, so you weren't you weren't quote unquote feeling delusional, like exactly. You weren't right, like walking around going, "That's right, we got signed." America, exactly. Deal with it, Chicago. Like that was not it. You were just stoked. We were stunned and stoked. We were like kids in a candy store. We yeah. couldn't believe we got to go to the studio every day. Yeah. That, genuine, s- that genuineness, I do. I also believe helps though, because if you're not oh, believing yeah. your own hype, right, then you're not. You're not. You're not um, clouded. Right. You're just doing your thing. We were so excited. We were so excited about our songs. We couldn't. I was waiting tables for a while, and Nina. We always talk about how I was logging. I logged everything we did. I had a notebook, a logging notebook, all of our lyrics, all of our songs, every rehearsal we had. I would write down what songs we worked on, what songs we four tracked, how much of it we four tracked. Um, and I, when I was waiting tables at this jazz bar downtown called Andy's Jazz Club on Hubbard, I think, or State, I think Hubbard, and um, and I would look it would, between like you know the tables and getting the food and whatnot, I would go back to my notebook and just stare and focus and think about what the next rehearsal would be. And so I was, you know, it was my livelihood. It was my, or it was, it's, it was my obsession, I should say. Um, not my livelihood quite yet. Um, and, and then by the time we got in the studio, we had a number of songs we were really excited to record and make a record out of. We had done a demo with a friend who lived on the South side of Chicago. Um, and I brought that around to all the clubs by myself. I brought them to all the club owners and gave them my cassette demo and told them who about us and then followed up on the phone with the booker. I tried to get a face-to-face meeting. And then we got offered shows at like the Elbow Room and Phyllis's Musical Inn and the Czar Bar. And um, we started playing everywhere um, around Chicago in these small places um, and Lounge Acts and then the Empty Bottle and... We uh, we very quickly got signed, as I said, and then that we released Seether on a seven inch because I wanted to go to Reckless Records on Broadway and, and get my seven inch. I basically just wanted to go to the V section and, get and your own, see yeah. my <laughs> own seven inch, um, and and uh, that was what was motivating us to do that. So we got it. I mean, me personally, um, we got it out, and someone at Hits Magazine, her name was Karen Glover, she found it and sent it to Kevin Weatherly at K Rock. And um, it became like a summer hit, and our record wasn't done yet. So we oh, were. Oh, that song came out before the record was done. Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Wow. Well, the record wasn't released. Um, but it so... wasn't unheard of to release singles while you no. were still. I suppose not. But we were we were actually asking people to hold off on playing it because it wasn't we weren't ready. <laughs> Don't get too far ahead of uh, right. Like that's that went and unfortunately, but you know, in hindsight, all is good. But yeah, yeah that put a little bit of pressure on you though when that happened. Though, did you guys be like, oh my god, we're not done. Oh my god, oh my god. Oh or- yeah. Well, we we were we were touring and 
Idful was taken up and it was busy, the studio where we were recording in Wicker Park. Um, and so we had to record in little, you know, in little modules. Okay. <laughs> um, we had to, because they had various bands booked. Oh, and Brad Wood had said when Liz's record hit that number, we said, what, do, how many records do you think will sell? And he's like, I don't know, like 10,000. And uh, we're like, wow, that's a lot. Um, and so when, when Seether hit, the radio, we didn't know what was happening to us at all. I remember it going. Happened quick. It happened so fast. I walked into Seven Eleven one day and I heard it, um, <laughs> and I was like looking around. And, <laughs> uh, were you like, does anyone know that I'm play- that I played this? Does anyone? No. Is that kind of one of those moments where you're like, huh? I'm living in a surreal planet yes. right now. Like yeah, my music is pumped through a Seven Eleven because that <laughs> song didn't just like come out gently. Like it was. Everywhere, right? Which yeah. is what I had. Is I when I first heard it, I assumed there were like two other albums behind it. I don't know. I was like, oh, funny. I'm sure this band has been around for a long time, and I just never heard of them. Oh, interesting. Uh, I just assumed that, but yeah, that was that that song hit. Yeah, that 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 happened, and then we caught up and released um, our album, which um, came out while we were touring with Hole. Um, that's so. That's what I was going to ask Milwaukee, you. Then. Is the, is just touring. Yeah, you had you know you just it's funny because you're like hey we did a couple shows, we get signed a couple mm-hmm. shows in Chicago, right? You hadn't really toured. We toured in a van um, in the Midwest and the East Coast. You did, yeah. Okay, well mm-hmm. before well sort of before and during we were during the recording okay. of American Thighs okay. because we would be in the studio and then leave for another band to go in and we we t- we booked our tour around the recording schedule. So nice. when when the when 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 um. When Seether was out, were you on the road, and were you seeing the impact of it? Oh uh, well, or that happened. Were you a little bit ahead of that curve still on the tour part of it? Yeah, I don't remember if we toured that summer. We toured in the fall oh, when it did. when okay. it was good. By and out then, there. it was already okay, and the, so you all saw the immediate impact. We of definitely it. did. Yeah. Can I ask you something? Um, <clears throat> I don't talk to a lot of musicians about this, but what is it like in a packed house and hit a chord? That you know that everybody in that room knows, and they lose their shit. Because you've you obviously talked about being on the other end of that as a fan. Mm. So now flip that. What is it like standing on a stage, hitting a chord, and you know, and like when you and and, and everyone you, knows you, that's the what they, song they you're know about what to go they into. know what is about to happen, and they have lost their shit. Does it does it affect you in any way? Or did it affect you the first time something major like that happened? Do you do you have a moment in life where you're like, wow? Well, cool. was, yeah, I don't know that I have a moment. A moment I, I okay. think I think uh, it's like a tapestry of images and memories. <laughs> um, no, but seriously, I I I, I remember I, it, you know the mosh pits were alive and well then, and and there were I just remember thinking like jocks love Seether, like that's so interesting. Like we le- we got so many girl fans, which was so cool, and what we always hoped for, and then like. Dudes loved us. Couple Maybe dudes with backwards hats and no sleeves. Yeah, man. And they, you know, everyone was welcome. My brother said, "No, it's good that you didn't end up with an all-girl band because there's something for everyone." Um, and we, I always liked the the fact that we ended up with a balanced gender band, also um, for many reasons. But in terms of like the impact, I remember being in France and playing the song Twenty Five and hearing a room full of Parisians singing the words to this song 25 it kind of makes me want to cry just thinking about it because that was you know that was the song that one of the songs that meant the most to us on the album it was the last song on the album and to hear 
someone, a, a, a whole room full of, a club f- packed full of people singing back our lyrics to us was... You don't really speak English. In the second language. Yeah. In their yeah. second language was mind-blowing. It's, yeah. a, it's that there's the connection, right? That's the... I, that's, that's what I've always found unique is it's a connection with people you've never met, most likely you never will meet, all drawn to one place from one thing that you created and, and they give it back to you in that way. It's, 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 it's such a unique uh, perspective that not everybody gets to share. So I'm always just curious like what goes through someone's mind because sometimes people just are like, no, you're just playing your music up there. You're not really, you're not seeing what's going on. You're not noticing what's going on in front of you. I'm like, no, they got to notice. They, they, you know, I mean, the mind can, can do multiple things at once while they're up there. It's like, yeah, you can play your song, but there's no way you can't be feeling and, and well, seeing all these things going around you in front do. of you. You do see it. And I have a way of finding the one person in the back who's yawning. Oh, uh, uh, yeah. You, must, you should have been a stand-up comic. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's like, oh, the guy's got his arms crossed back there. He's not yeah. having fun. Oh, God. Musicians have that affliction as well, you guys. Yeah. Um, it's really hard not to see the yawner. Or if your mom is there, that's the only person <laughs> like, you see. Boom, right there. Like, like what? There's mom. What's she doing? Where'd mom go? Where'd yeah. she go? She's not, who's that guy she's talking to? <laughs> What's happening over there? So, but I will say, um, to take it a little deeper, that I think often about when people tell me what our music means to them, I think often about how I felt meeting, how I have felt meeting um, David Bowie, for example, Um, how I felt meeting Tanya Donnelly after um, Star, after the record Star that, that was one of the most beautiful pieces of art that Mm -hmm. I'd ever heard. Um, meeting the people, Liz Fair, for example, um, for that matter, uh, whose music had touched me so, like, to the core. I, I think of that when people come to us and come up to us and say similar things that I have said, and it is so hard for me to process what they're saying as coming to me. And I, it is such a responsibility, not just to be gracious, but to, it's a responsibility to them for me to continue making art and to take them to absorb it and process it as, as deeply as I possibly can and not to be dismissive and not to be self-effacing because that's not the point of all this. I don't need to be modest. I need to uh, encompass what they're saying, you know, um, and give it the same kind of respect that I would my own younger self or current self who is appreciating art, you know, um, it's an awkward thing to hear, and we just—we were just in Tasmania. We're touring. We just got back from Australia. We tour, we're touring on our record Ghost Notes that we put out a couple of years ago, and we had yet to tour Australia on this album. And there were these women who um, were, you know, we were in Tasmania, as I said, and they had—they came up to us. They were a group. They were doing. We were doing a T-shirt signing, and they had all like left their babies or their kids. Like one of them for the first time left her, left her, left her baby to come see us and, um, had like a, you know, their group of friends got back together to come see Veruca Salt at this festival. And, um, they may have been, ha- they may have had a few, but they were, um, they were effusive. <laughs> well, and, um, they were effusive and so heartfelt. And, and one of them possibly was in tears telling us about, how much we changed their lives when they were in high school and how they just didn't understand that, that, that they could, that girls had that much power and that girls could be that, um, outspoken. Um, and, and it was, it's shocking to me that, that 
you know, in the 90s, that was still the climate, but it was at least in Tasmania. And I think, you know, we did, we came on the heels of so many women we respected that we felt insignificant by comparison. Like we went to go see the Breeders Show pod from the pod tour and it, it, it definitely changed us, shaped us. We were both so incredibly touched by it. We both, prior to that, independent of one another, were at the same Wendy and Lisa concert um, and similarly moved by the whole experience and impacted by it, found out later that we were both there and then went to go see the Breeders Pod, vastly different music styles, but um, similar in that we there, there was so much love on stage in both of these concerts and so much female, powerful beauty and strength that we were, we just knew, you know, we were further emboldened to do what we did. And, and then we, you know, and I will say this is an honor to learn that we, managed to somehow pave the way for more, you know? Um, and, and so it's, it's really, it's profound to, to see people in the audience responding to our music in a way that, you know, I may to some other music that I love, but I also feel like when we're on stage, it's not an, we an other than mm -hmm. an either, or I feel like we're all, I always feel that we are all on this ship and we're all crossing the ocean and we're all having this, we're taking this ride together. And each ride is unique and it's never going to be relived. It's never going to be recreated, no matter how many iPhones are pulled out. <laughs> it's never going to it's never going to translate. And you'll never get the vibe of the room. You won't smell the sweat and be there, you know, and, and you won't see the bodies and be there for the sweaty, awesome ex rock and roll experience. And the, uh, you know, audio will be entirely different. Yeah. And the magic will be gone. So you can't condense it down to a recording. It just will be an entirely different experience. So for me, like the actual um, performance is an experience that the audience and the musicians share. And um, it's an organic, um, you know, dynamic, moving thing that can't be captured in a bottle and just happens once. Yeah. I agree. John is one hundred percent dialed in with you. You you have the exact same uh, POV of, uh, in, yeah. on life as he does. So. Yeah. Well, no, I mean, I just yeah. Once, I mean, that's the that's the like you said. You can live stream a concert. You can watch somebody's comedy special. You can do whatever you want from the comfort of your living room. But you know, you're never gonna have the experience of a, a group of people kind of becoming one over whatever's happening on stage. It's like, um, yeah, it's pretty amazing. Do you, um, uh, do you, you were talking about like meeting, uh, David Bowie as an example. Did you, did you, um, can we just maybe, how was that? Did you kind of blew by that? Like it was like, and then I met Cliff the mailman and I was like, wait, what? Well, it's, I, because it's, you're, you know, one of the thing, the nice things about having some success is you're also granted access that you may have never been granted. You know what I mean? Some of us can stay fans and from a distance and then sometimes we get to live a life that allows us a little bit more access and occasionally we get to meet someone that we never thought we would get to meet. So I'm just curious if that was somebody that when you were like, I can't believe I'm getting to, you know. Well, right. I grew up thinking that musicians like from the band Sticks and Journey and, you know, all the bands that I liked at certain periods, they were all from Planet Rock. Yeah, they know? all lived, they all had one giant house on one huge planet. They totally. came in. And then they left. Right. They came to the stadium in St. Louis. And then were spaceship. The checker dome, <laughs> whatever they called it now. And um, yeah, and then they were space shipped out. <laughs> sure, sure. So It's like when you see a teacher that you had in public, you're like, what are you doing out of the school? How'd you get into the grocery store? 
we'll let you in here. Like, I'm just a human being. I'm buying cereal. Like, oh, well, that's weird. Just for one sec, only because I will forget if I don't tell you this. So I... I did. A child asked me this morning at school. He was going back sure, to talking about. Sure, this equals meeting David Bowie. It has nothing to do with meeting <laughs> David Bowie. It just has to do with just how perspectives on life. I did an assembly and I had to speak at the assembly this morning. A child, kindergarten, walks past and goes, "Hey," I go, "Yeah." Do you have a child that goes to school here? <laughs> And in my mind, I'm like, if I didn't, <laughs> this would be the weirdest day of everyone's life. Because in her mind, is like, I don't know why that guy is talking. Is always around <laughs> here. here. What's I've deal? never seen him with other children. Oh he comes in, does weird stuff. Mr. Rando doesn't teach any classes. Meanwhile, her parents are calling the school. Who's this strange man giving speeches? Anyway, point being, access being Rosalind. So anyway, back to different. So way. well. <laughs> But no, that's such a that's that, that why is definitely, are you here? So, <laughs> well, right. So, I being I, I was invited to his fiftieth birthday party, and do you still have the invite? Uh, no, I think it was more of a verbal invite. Oh, uh, okay, all right, all right. So, um, I was at after the show at Madison Square Garden. Um, we were you know m- meant to meet at an after party. Which was um, uh, at a, in a, some kind of loft that had no sign. You After know? his show or your show? After David Bowie's okay, show, okay. it was his big birthday, fiftieth gotcha, birthday, right. Madison at Madison Square Garden. Okay. Um, and we went to much of which I didn't see. Which sadly, I just saw the other day. I was watching. Um, I was watching a performance of David Bowie and Lou Reed. And doing Queen Bitch. And it was at his 50th birthday party at Madison Square Garden. I'm like, Lou Reed was there performing? <laughs> I didn't... How did I... Was I backstage? Like, how did I not... How did I miss this? Um, it's shocking to me. Yeah. And God, was he beautiful. Both of them. But I'm talking about Bowie. He was radiant. He was so happy. Uh, watching that performance, I was so touched by it. He was so happy and in his element, in his zone, like surrounded by friends, like really lapping it up, like really present for it, you know? Um, And I thought that's, that's, that is a lesson for life right there. Just watching him be present for all of this glory, you know? Um, And who knows how he felt inside, but his outsides were Mm -hmm. beaming. Um, And so, but that was my experience in meeting him at this party. He was radiant and gracious and glowing and, um, I was sitting at a table. I was seated at a table with some other musicians, um, noteworthy musicians, um, successful noteworthy musicians in the, from the 90s um, as we were in the 90s. And um, and that was sort of, I was in my element, right? And then I was asked to, if I wanted to meet David Bowie and and sort of like, you know, as we cross the room, it's like we cross dimensions, like we're in a wrinkle in time, you know, when you're crossing <laughs> dimensions. Um, and, and, and of course he was just a person, but just the love, one of the loveliest people I've ever met. And we had, um, we had just finished, we had just gotten a, an advanced cassette of our album, Eight Arms to Hold You, which had a, uh, a song on it called With David Bowie that Nina had penned about discovering David Bowie in her 20s. And loving it, just discovering David Bowie and what that meant to her and falling in love with him, you know, his music. And um, it was 
And so I, I offered him this cassette. I said, I just got this today and it has a song about you and I'd love for you to hear it if you'd care to. And he took it so graciously and tucked it into his his blazer pocket inside his pocket or, and said, uh, thank you so much. I'll look forward to it. It was just so kind. And um, so, and then, you know, Iman was like, David, we must go. And, <laughs> and whisked him off and... And they were just so fabulous. Yeah, the party a, was so fabulous. And what I love about this, just for one sec, is just that you stayed a fan, and you did a fan thing, which mm-hmm. is totally awesome. Mm-hmm. It was such a genuine moment, and and it's like, it's not always like, oh, David, yes, we, you know what I mean? Like you, you it wasn't like, oh, and we talked, we, we, you know, it's like instead of having this very like separating yourself from the general public. Right. Mm-hmm. Of like, well, of course, you know, I met David and we're all, you know, we're all musicians. Like the, oh. the story was so genuine. Like you stayed. I'm still I still think he's from another dimension and he's one of the greatest artists of our time. And um, and yeah, I couldn't believe I was getting to meet this man, you know, yeah. Yeah. contact. Right. That's, I think yeah. I, I think whatever you say about him is that what I kind of I guess I understood this before but what I really understood after his passing was the effect he had on so many people who mm. didn't have they didn't fit in they didn't they felt like they were weird like and I know a lot of people say that a lot about art, a lot of artists where it's like oh you know uh, I I was I, I didn't fit in and then I listened to Van Halen and I was like oh yeah this is what I like and you're like yeah okay but like I feel like David Bowie so many people were like you know, they, they didn't like sports, so they were weird. Like, things that, things that went on in their life that made them, like, I liked art as a kid and nobody else <laughs> did. Like, that shit. Like, they could see David Bowie and be like, oh, yeah, dude, no, we can do whatever we want. Everything's cool. Like, there's guys like him out there. It's fine. I, like, I just feel like he gave a lot of people... Uh, Permission? Yeah, mm-hmm. just, like, be who you are. Like. Yeah. The, the the okay, the go-ahead to do that. Yeah, I guess permission. But. Yeah, and a license to do that, like or motivation to do that, incentive, like... Or, yeah, it's, or just, there's no, don't need, there's no need to hide it. Like, yeah. don't try to live some kind of weird exterior that's not you, because in the end, you're going to be miserable as fuck. Right. Even with all of his costumes and stuff, he was saying that. Like, yeah. he was saying exactly yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah, he, he changed the landscape. He was, a, in every way, a game yeah. changer. Yes, and, I agree. And I always think the mark, for me, of a of a good artist is when they make me want to go make art like right now like I'll hear a song um, by Lou Reed and I want to go write a song I hear a song by David Bowie I want to go write a song I want to hear a Beatles song I want to go write a song same goes for the Pixies I want to go write yeah I always do because um, good the art breeders inspires are the same. more art I hope they, well and I you know I, I, I think or at least inspires inspires like, so so it doesn't need to be art but it can inspire you to do other things i just went to a reading the other night at skylight books here in la um for um a book by a woman named beth pickens the book is called your art will save your life my husband who's also a musician saw this list it listed and said we have to, we have to go to this and um we just did we had to go because he and i will tend to like we have at his insistence we, we hung our guitars on our wall. We have a music room and he hung our guitars on the wall. I think it looks a little too like Guitar Center, but he likes it, so I'm like giving him that. Um, but, you know, the good news is that we see our guitars and remember that we are guitar players when we're deep in parenthood and um, everything else that makes our lives go go around. Um, and And yet we can forget for long periods of time, like, you know, the aforementioned time when I had a baby and and we put our guitars in the closet 
and we kind of forgot. And he said, they got to come out. We're going to forget. We, 10 years are going to pass and we will not have played guitar. That's not, a, that's not okay. No. And this woman, Beth Pickens, says, it's really not okay. If you're an artist, you have to create or you will be unwell. So, so, and your future fans are waiting. So I have to take heed. I have to respect not only my own instinct to write and create, um, no matter what. Like, no matter whether, like, the industry has changed and records don't sell the way they used to. And in our case, we can't really tour because we have small children. Um, that's the way it is right now. So um, whatever it means to be a musician, whether it means I'm a constantly working musician, writing, you know, albums and letting them, songs and putting them on the internet, or whether I'm really focusing on it being my career, um, I just have to keep doing it. And so does every single artist who is listening right now. Um, we all have to do it and not listening uh, because we have a responsibility to respond to the world that we live in and to offer our unique perspective. Every single one of us has a unique perspective and a unique offering. And no song is going to be just like the next, no painting just like the next. And even if you know we don't feel like we have enough fans or we don't sell enough, what this woman says is your art has no correlation to its value to its monetary value has no there's no correlation between the two so get out of that thinking right um and just make it because your future fans readers viewers are waiting for you to do so and yeah. not everyone is inclined to do it so you have this um this gift responsibility um you know drive listen to it listen to your instinct and create well, and, 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 and another thing that you and I have talked about in respect to that is it comes in unique ways, too. I mean, if you look at what you and I do, we also do we also communicate in the ways that we know best with children, something we probably never thought we were going to do. Oh, I Definitely. thought you were talking about the band you started. Yeah, we've, we've got a band together. It's called Never Gonna <laughs> not, Happen. Not together, just so, like you're like, uh, <laughs> not together, just like, like trying to compare yourself. If the band is called Brian's Not Here, and that's the best thing that happened today in the band. But, you know, we, uh, um, I learned very quickly. I was initially resistant to do anything on campus, but then I realized I had, a, I had an ability. I, first off, I have no fear of, of, of talking in public, whether it's you're 90 or two. It doesn't matter. I, can, I will find a way to communicate with you. It's a skill that I have, right? And then, and then building on that, whether it's pies in the face, which I only did that because I knew what would connect. I knew things, simple things that connected with the kids. And there was messages behind the pies. It wasn't just the pies. It was the messages and the kids liked it or whatever. But it was when I saw that you just went out of your way to teach kids music in a different way. They, and, this is, and you and I talked about this too. It wasn't anything against what they were already learning. Right. It was... Added on top In addition of, to. It was a different perspective. It was you saying, I have something inside of me. I would like to share it this way. And I just, I always remember, uh, I think it was last year, um, watching it come to fruition, sitting in the back and watching, I can't remember, it was a big assembly that you had and all the kids were on the stage and they were, they were singing and music was playing and they were marching around and everything was in sync and it all made sense. And it's like, if you were to take the everything that's cool about it, rock and roll is the body surfing, the mosh pits, the being in a, a playing at the Metro or the, the Avalon or whatever. Yeah. Or, you know, just the what type of audience we assume it needs to be. Right. And in that moment, I'm like, 
the audience is whoever the audience is and the participants are whoever they are in the moment. And I was so blown away by like if all of a sudden I was like for everybody that makes fun of me for talking about being married and having kids and talking about kids and, and I'm like, you don't get it, man. I've 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 crossed over. Yeah. I see. I see something now that I'm so glad I'm a part of. I was very resistant to it for a long time because I wanted to be in the adult world for as long as possible. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to dip my toe. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to hang. I don't know what I would hang. I don't play guitar. But I didn't want to hang my thing on the wall and just have it become, you know, mm-hmm. a dust collector or whatever, you know, or, right. or my version of Guitar Center, right? You and my husband are the same in that way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I So I just, I, I you know, I, it's there. It, I, I love the fact that you're just saying, it's like, whatever it is, just go create. And I saw it. I saw it. I didn't. It didn't fall in deaf ears. Is I guess what I'm mm. saying. It's like the kids became something I never thought I would see the kids become, because mm. I think we. I think we don't give them enough credit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, we think that they just have, give them a recorder, and and play that same song again, like they've been playing for 35 years in class. Yeah. I have so many recorders in my house right now. Yeah. <laughs> Nothing against the recorder. You have a recorder. That's what they're called, right? They're called yeah, recorders. Yeah, yeah, Boring old recorders. Boring old recorders, yeah. yeah. I mean, listen, we're, we got a little bit of everything. We've talked about tapes, kids' tapes or something that would melt in your car. Your well, favorite that's what would <laughs> melt in your I car did, if you I didn't did take wanna, it out. I did want to I did want to say that. I think that's great that you had a tape of a tape you made and you gave it to Bowie. And at the time, he was like, hey, I got to put this in a tape player. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Even David, David Bowie, Bowie had, had to, to find a tape, tape player. player and be like, right. oh, that's a good song. Had to find <laughs> a tape so player. Funny to me. Off of her Tascam oh, 4, four, four, four channel recorder. Unless and. he was like, he's like, no, I put it on my space thing and it plays. Like he could have, he could have had something going on. Like he could have been uh, flown to Earth in a chamber. Like I wouldn't be surprised to find out David Bowie might not have been. 100% human. It would have been funny if she said I gave him the tape and then he just floated away. And then he just disappeared. <laughs> it was insane. Well, he sort of did. He flo- He drifted off in a, <laughs> in a, like a bubble with, with Iman, you know, like a, a beautiful bubble. But I just, those two together too, like I think that's like, that, uh, that's just, you You can look at that relationship and go, God damn, you guys were married for a long time. They were together for a long time and they were like, Every picture of them is like them having the best fucking time. Yeah, I think that's never a picture of like no. him walking ahead of her out of a restaurant and her like, what? Like yeah. uh, it's <laughs> always like they're laughing and they're they're telling each other something like, hey, look at this guy over. Like there's always every photo I've ever seen of them has been like some sort of inside hilarious joke that they're having with each other. And it's like you can't really ask for anything more than that. Mm-hmm. Well, and that's also the the fear is that is, you know, sometimes when you want to meet you know, they always joke about like, don't meet your be, heroes. Yeah, don't meet your heroes. They might let you down. Like, it's always a scary thing, right? There's that scary chance to be like, here's my tape. Uh huh. And just throw it. Like, anyway, somebody gave me a shot of tequila. You're like, that's not the guy I thought you were. You are not behaving as the person I thought I was going to be right now. Please go pick up my tape. Please go pick my tape off the ground. Because you said that I will have to tell you how the story ends, which is, um, no, it's good. Uh-oh. Okay, all right. Um, that the next day, um, David. Was on radio was on a radio show in Boston and um, brought up this tape and brought up the fact that he had listened to it and loved it and uh, said that I was lovely and so that was something that happened. I um, honestly thought that he you just never heard from never about knew. it again. No. That's why you didn't follow. Like, no, no, in fact, the the DJ knew how incredibly important this moment would be to me. So to she anyone? she yeah. put it on a cassette tape. <laughs> <laughs> and she gave it to me when we were next at the radio station. Oh my God! So you yeah. have David Bowie on on I, tape I have in it an somewhere. Interview saying, "Yeah, no, I listened to it. And yes, it was good. I somewhere you have that. Better dub that tape before oh, that. Oh, you tape. gotta find well, that. I, Never forget. You should know. You're from the tape generation. I'm glad the that you warped tape generation. I am, and I have currently boxes of like bins of warped 
<laughs> tapes in my garage that my husband is begging me to throw out. So thank you for jogging my memory. I can't bear to throw them out because they're all like, each one is so special to me. And I know that somewhere in that morass of tapes, melting tapes, is that one from FNX in Boston. Well, and awesome. I will also tell you in this, you can, you can use this in your arguments, as long as you're not a hoarder. Um, no. Okay, God, I just want to be clear. I, never, I cannot support hoarding. <laughs> I cannot. That's my one thing. Um, your tapes are artwork now. You put them in the old tape. Remember the, the tape, you know, the, the square tape cassette holders? Yes. They put they make them into art now. So they take all the tapes, put them in there, and then they put a piece of flexi over them, and they people hang them on walls. It's now, it, that yeah. look is now the coolest art around. I, Beautiful. So you're just basically building up an art arsenal. It sounds like I am. Yeah. That, in theory, you could unscrew the plexi at any moment, and it becomes another layer of art because you can still play it. You can play this art. This I just gave you probably one of the greatest. <laughs> it's either that he'd be like, "Hey, thanks for that." So we're getting divorced now because <laughs> <laughs> I'm a hoarder. I was lying that day. Not if he'll get rid of his comic books, I'll consider the cassettes. Okay, he'll never do that. That's <laughs> outrageous. That crazy talk. Just, I don't yeah. understand. <laughs> I have to get a massage, you guys. Oh yeah, that's right. You did talk about that. I do. I think she might be waiting for me. Oh no, yeah, yes. great. Oh, I was going to say that what what you just said about creating art was like a perfect place to end. <gasps> that was beautiful. Oh, okay. Yeah, I, and yeah. I wrecked it by by yeah know, by being Brian. tagging. But that's okay. On, like I always do. I'm yeah. so glad that you came. Yeah. I'm so and glad I came and, too. And yes, thank thing. you so much, dude. You guys, are you still touring? You still you. playing shows? Just yeah, got we back uh, one, right? we just well, got no, but right. I mean. In continuation with that, I meant. In continuation with that, we are um, working in some. In we're working towards the next album. Okay. And um, I'm writing, writing, writing. Awesome. I'm writing when I whether I mean to or not. I'm writing. I'm just putting singing songs into my iPhone constantly. I don't know where they're coming from. So they're just showing up. Can I assume that eventually I'll be somewhere and you'll walk up to me and go, "Here's a tape of the new Veruca Salt album. We put a song on there about your podcast." <laughs> I'll tuck it into my blazer. Already in the I'll tuck works, it into John. my blazer, and me and my wife will laugh out the door. And someday your podcast. Oh yeah, you you, you mentioned your, that at the very beginning. You have a podcast. Yes. We do. Yeah, we are working on a podcast right now called. Um, Sorry about the hair. It's I have I have a farm. The ca- I just you have cats. It. I have cats and dogs. Is that okay? You're not allergic, please. <laughs> I'm not oh allergic. God, no, I'd be glad, glad no. you've been here two hours, and now yeah. we're just no. asking you. Uh, we we do, but it's not launched yet, and we are currently. Um, Looking at some edits, ours is actually visual as well as audio. Nina and I are doing. I was going to say it's you and Nina. Or yeah, it's, me okay. and Nina. Mm-hmm. What's it called? What are you going to call? It's called it? Hero Worship. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and we are. Uh, our current job is to go through some recent edits and okay them, um, and then we'll move forward. But the problem is, the visual creates a whole new dimension, which is cool to have, but there are. Um, you know, there are angles one doesn't like, and there are lighting that one doesn't like, and then there it also may change the dynamic. Like, you're not just as relaxed as you might be right. if there weren't cameras, cameras pointing at you. you. Yeah. It may do something good. It may bring something different, but it, it is a different animal because there are cameras on, cameras yeah. rolling. So we've, we've, um, we've done, like, uh, I think eight or ten, and it's taken us a long time to get these done. But um, we will hopefully be launching them soon. I mean, so long that in one point in one of the podcasts, we have Fred Armisen on, who's a friend from Chicago who also was awesome. in a band and hated us because he thought we were doing it the wrong way. <laughs> That's and funny. he was in this really cool band named Trench Mouth. He's one of the people, actually, and we talked about this on the podcast, so spoiler alert. <laughs> um, 
who was like we, we we were friendly and and we'd see I'd see we'd see each other places and I actually thought at the time that he was the funniest person I'd ever met and no it was such a tragedy that the world didn't know about him right because he was too funny to be kept secret and he was in a, a drummer in a band in Chicago like why drummers you know, are yeah. always hilarious well it's true it's true um, but. Anyway, he was in this band and he thought we were super uncool for doing it the way we did it. He would say, hate it that I say that because he doesn't like to say anything negative about anybody ever. But um, but he did. And and so it wasn't until later when he thought, oh, OK, like they 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 were savvy. They knew what they were doing. Um, self-promotion is not a bad thing. He, you know, he, he saw us doing flyer. He was working at a, at a cafe called Herbis Orbis. And we used to go in there and, and label our flyers. And then we would do the whole glue thing. We'd put our flyers up everywhere and also send them to everyone. We'd do mailers. And um, it was super old school. But we went business. You know, I was logging and yeah, sending flyers. Yeah, no, that's flyers what I'm saying. You going to the record companies and going to the places and giving them tapes of your tape and saying, Manual this is labor. us. And, and, like, it's not, I sent you a link. Man, I did my job. Now listen to the link. It's like, there, there was actual labor involved <laughs> in put, being in a band back then. It was like, you just had to. Yeah. Yeah, you had to. Or at least every successful band I've ever heard of did that. Yeah, yeah totally. But in, in that podcast, we talked about, um, we talk about David Bowie and, um, and we talk about Prince. And at the time, uh, Prince was still with us. And Nina said, you guys are so lucky for having met David Bowie. I'm so jealous. And I said to them, well, you guys, I'm, I'm so jealous of both... Uh, both of you for having met Prince, speaking of meeting people. Yeah. And um, Fred said, well, there's still time. He's across town. And, uh, you know, a couple of weeks later, he passed away. And and here we are still ha- not having released the podcast. <laughs> so it's a little, the timing is a little awkward at this point. So we'll have to do some sort of disclaimers. But the podcasts were really fun. And it was a great, ex- it's a great excuse to put your phones down, your fucking phones. <laughs> And just talk to human beings and look them in the eye. Right. (laughs) I will say that our show, we do video our show. It's on a Nest camera. Oh, that's actually it's a Ring camera, (laughs) and we are only broadcast on the Ring neighborhood. uh, Oh my god! It's it's all live, right? Yeah. Guy steals package and uh, Hollywood Anonymous (laughs) is on the Ring neighborhood. Again, very sexy. Yeah, that's how we roll. I am so glad that I met you and you are in my life and I'm glad that I was able to have you on the show and I know this dude was stoked I am you as super well, stoked so. I'm very glad you came on the show I really appreciate it and also guys if you take one thing away from this episode I think it's everything you said about coming out of that book about whatever you do keep creating and it's not about financial gain or social status or whatever it's it's about being a healthy human being, and other people might benefit from what you do. You have no idea. Yeah. And I'm smiling very big right now, just so everybody can can imagine or uh, try to picture, because I can't express it. Oh, that's nice. Thank Good. you, Louise. Thank you very en- much. Thanks, guys. Enjoy your massage. Thank you for listening to Hollywood Anonymous. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Hollywood Anani. That is short for Hollywood Anonymous. You can also follow John individually at John Huck and myself, Brian Irwin, at Brian Irwin on Twitter as well. Both of us can be found on Facebook. You can also Google us and contact us directly, HollywoodAnonymousGuys at gmail.com. Thank you again so much for listening, and please don't forget to subscribe. 